My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Family thinks I'm crazy, and it's really true. They actually do. They have for 15 years now, ever since I started being honest about what I thought, or as things just got clearer and clearer for me on what reality honestly looked like. The secrets of everything. Elementals. Manly P. Hall talks about that a lot. You have something that's bothering you, you manifest an elemental right somewhere either it'd be into the ether or whatever it is you know what i mean because energy can only cannot be destroyed it can only be transformed so 100 percent, i believe that once we die this energy either lingers or goes into the ether or or something happens where we are maybe seeing places where the veil is thin places like skinwalker ranch the bermuda triangle or the the dragon's triangle, places like that, high, high strangeness, high strangeness, high strangeness through maybe quartz that's in the ground and certain, like in Skinwalker Ranch, there's only certain types of rocks that are found there. The ancient Egyptians that use quartz and all types of rocks to build their structures and we have no fucking idea what they were for, but they had to have served a purpose. Did you say Starfort earlier? Yeah, Starforts, dude. What's a Starfort? The Earth creates these waves, classical structures that are organic. It's got to be alchemical knowledge. Uh, a car that essentially ran on radio waves. It's like a dance-off with giants, you know? Like, you know, I can swing my dick 
you know, just as much as you can, Mr. Giant Man. I uh, doubt it. I, dude, how big was the giant dick, though? That's Probably the like question. My arm. <laughs> we'll take you to a gun yeah, show. It's got to be Indiana Jones. We just talked. I was going to actually hit you up about getting him on sometime on our show. Monty Python. You can get a job. You're one of those guys. Don't fuck with Mark, guys. You know, you may not yeah. look like it, but he'll fuck you up, like, real fast. Since this is a big dumb podcast, I love talking to both of you, so yeah, we'll do it again soon. I've never licked a butthole, but they, you know, they get their buttholes on my pillow. I sleep on it. I have way more questions than when I started with. Yep. I took notes the whole time. I have a bunch of things to look into. I want to be able to fucking choke people out and like get choked out and be, you know, go that all that fun stuff. There's a good flow here. I'm so nonchalant about it too. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer, and on today's double feature special, I have two guest appearances or swap casts that I've done in the past month. The first one is with my new friend Juan on his podcast, Juan on Juan, and I thought that would be the perfect episode to do for episode 101 or 101 and if you haven't listened to the 100th episode yet go back and do it not only did i review the podcast up until this point but i also highlighted some of my favorite moments some of my favorite episodes and i gave a bunch of really awesome shout outs and at the end you get to hear sam tripoli alex stein michael Wan, mike romanelli andre mighty ron from new england brandon thomas and Dan Donunaki, maybe Ryan Dean. I think that's everybody. I think, did I say Yogi Zorananda? I feel like I forget him. Uh, but either way, you get to hear all those guys joke around, chop it up, and and I thought it was a really fun time. And of course, most importantly, me. And uh, Tara put that together, my lovely girlfriend, surprised me with a podcast on my birthday. It was probably the coolest birthday gift anyone's ever given me. But that was the last episode this is this episode and i decided to put my conversation with juan like i said for episode 101 juan is a really cool guy we got into fluoride we got into some psyop stuff we talked about skinwalker ranch we talked about ley lines we talked about our upbringings and what got us into all this stuff and i happened to mention a whole bunch of different podcasts that i have been inspired by and you know the typical sort of ringer of things uh, that I've been talking about lately with some new stuff too because I think each interview and each conversation brings out different things from the uh, chambers of my mind so to speak and then we got into Tartaria which was really cool we talked about some Tartaria stuff and I broke some of that down for my buddy Juan and then after the conversation with Juan about let's see about an hour and 20 minutes in 20 hour and 15 minutes in is a conversation I had on the big dumb podcast with Kyle and Puds and that was a fun ass time those dudes really know how to have a good time they uh, do beer reviews on their podcast and they get into a lot of the same stuff we do so 
If you are hearing both of these podcasts for the first time, be sure to go into the episode description and subscribe to Juan's podcast, One on One, and subscribe to Kyle and Pud's podcast, The Big Dumb Podcast. And contrary to the title of the show, we got into some really smart stuff. We talked about the age of discovery and this time when the you know old world was quote unquote colonizing the new world and i shared my thoughts on some of the tartarian connections to new england place where i was born so look forward to that in the latter half of the episode uh, but here we are folks in the ever-present now and here comes a awesome conversation with juan from the one-on-one podcast be sure to subscribe on patreon and you will get a spirit animal name that's right you sign up for our patreon and i will divine your spirit animal name using a combination of tarot card decks that i use in my life on a day-to-day weekly basis i'll draw from these cards and get a little insight speaking of tarot we got a couple cool episodes coming out in the following weeks about tarot uh first up Gabriel, that will be out this Monday. Gabriel, aka Slick Dissident, Slick Dissident. Uh, we got into the tarot card deck and how the Avengers movies correspond with the tarot card deck. It was really fascinating stuff. Stay tuned for that coming out this Monday. And like I said, folks, have a good time this weekend. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy this conversation with Juan. And then Kyle and Puds. Welcome back to another episode of the Juan Juan Podcast. I'm your host as always, Juan. And today we are joined by Mark from, I think it's a pretty fucking awesome name. My family thinks I'm crazy podcast. What's up, bro? What's up? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I, I, it's inspired by, you know, getting the job working for Tripoli in a lot of ways, you know, but it's true as well because I've been into this stuff since I was really young. So I have quite the reputation for, you know, throwing some crazy truth bombs into the mix at like a Thanksgiving dinner or like a Christmas dinner and getting people upset. So the name is, is very true to who I am. It's awesome, dude. And before we get deeper into it, can you let people know where they can find your podcast? Yeah. Where they can, you know, find your whatever social media you want to share. Let the people know. Yeah. So my family thinks I'm crazy. Like you said, is the name of the show. You can find it on anywhere you listen to podcasts. We got a Rockfin channel and we've got a Patreon as well. And then we're putting audio on YouTube. I don't put as much content on YouTube, but I might be putting some more live stream type stuff out there, whether it be through Rockfin, YouTube. I don't know. Maybe you can give me some advice on that. I definitely want to start live streaming more that I ha- now that I have a new computer on the way. It's not here nice, yet, yeah. but but yeah, that's mm-hmm. so that's in the works. So the whole thing with these tech overlords, right? The reptilians up, up, up high, the, the ones at Google, the ones at YouTube. It's, and the funniest thing is that it's all the same people over and over again. Like we give so much power to these guys, whether it be an entity or, and people always ask me, they go, are they really, are they really lizards? And I go, maybe, maybe it goes back <laughs> to ancient Mesopotamia, right? Yeah. The, the What do they call it? The fertile crescent or something like that. 
where, where the, the cradle of civilization, where it all started, and like this ancient bloodline of the Anunnaki and all that shit. Maybe. I like to think that they are because it's a cool fucking idea. And why not, right? But why? So give me one thing of why your family thinks you're crazy, Mark. Why, <laughs> what's, the, what's the one thing that you're like that when you hear it just makes your nipples hard? <laughs> well, I would say that it, it really, it's not like any one theory or anything like that. It's more where the friction comes from is like, I try to live a healthy life and do the best I can to avoid toxins, do the best I can to avoid GMOs and unhealthy food. So when it comes to like what people eat, that's usually a big like, fertile ground for a lot of conspiracy theories whether it's fluoride i guess fluoride would be a big one you know when i told my parents that i wasn't gonna you know use their toothpaste i was gonna get a new kind of crazy toothpaste or you know whatever not that they cared too much about they were probably just happy that i was buying toothpaste for myself and not using theirs but yeah that that definitely came up as something like no there's there's no fluoride in the water because my dad works for the water company you know so i even asked him when i was younger i'm like oh do you do you know like about fluoride and if they put it in there he's like yeah they put it in there it's fine no big deal you know and i'm like oh no that's not what i've heard so i i learned from a pretty young age that most people we're not concerned with anything outside of the mainstream narrative, whether it was because it didn't affect what they had to do every day, you know, their daily routine, or because maybe it, it rubbed up against their political view, you know, like 9-11, that became, <clears throat> that became a big interest of mine when I was younger, not only because it was this huge tragedy, huge psyop, you know, I didn't realize it was a psyop at first, but... I was interested in looking into it because I noticed how quickly everybody just got behind this like whole anti-Muslim uh, people, you know, and it just seemed like it was, you know, being weaponized. People were just like blindly like upset with this whole group of people they never met before and never really interacted with and had all these fantastical ideas about them. And from a young age, I was like, oh, okay, what's going on here? And then I realized, oh, there's conspiracy. It's not one way or the other. It's this third way, you know? And so a lot. I would say fluoride, 9-11, you know? And then obviously, like, when I started smoking weed, it wasn't just a, like, a sort of recreational thing. I realized pretty quickly that there was, like, a spiritual connection, a spiritual unfolding going on. And that definitely made me crazy a little bit to friends that I would smoke with because it didn't happen for them for whatever reason. Maybe they weren't just not like keyed into the clues that might have provoked them to go down the same path or that maybe isn't the right path for them in their life. But for me, you know, smoking weed only made me more curious to read strange books. You know, I found these really strange books in my high school library and there are just little pieces of information in them like I never had the comprehension to tackle a whole book at a young age unless it was really short so I would just kind of skim through and find interesting stuff and a couple books really popped out as like oh okay that's weird that doesn't you know fit with what we were learning in school but it's here in the school library so that that kind of uh, basis began that 
journey into books. And that's where a lot of the craziness came from, too, because I was always the type of person to carry a book around with me and I would read something from a book and then just want to like blurt it out and explain it to somebody else. So that's definitely, you know, the basis for the craziness in a way. And if you look behind me, I don't know if my camera's really oriented that way today, but but I got a lot of books. I showed you the, I showed you the one book I just picked up on the skinwalkers, but I got a couple more that are, are very interesting. Like you mentioned at the beginning, I've been talking about Burns at the Skinwalker Ranch book. Yeah, yeah, I got to get that. I don't have that copy, but I definitely got to get that book. But you mentioned me being interested in ley lines. Well, this book right here, the Gaia Matrix is is huge in my investigation of it because the information connects all of these different things to where I live right in New England. So I think when you find stuff like that, that allows for you to go out and experience something in the real world it takes it on another level from just reading it in a book like skinwalker ranch for example i'm sure ryan right he's visited that place or right so that's property there right so like you know that brings it to a whole nother level for him he's experiencing that stuff all the time so i you know i think that's kind of the the thrill of of some of my more recent interests is like where do these conspiracies or these spiritual information, the hidden history, so to speak, fit into where I live and where I'm from? Yeah, and, I, and I'm with you on that. And especially nowadays, what what started it for me was, I think it was the Bermuda Triangle when I, when I was in elementary school reading about that shit. And I was like, what is going on in this area that of high strangers, just how with the skinwalker it's it's a fascinating place and there's places like that all over the world and you're saying you're finding information in all these books a lot of people nowadays they don't read anymore the, the most that they probably read is is what they what they're reading on the captions on social media right or they'll read a headline but won't read the 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 actual article they'll they'll look at something like you said they they, when you step somebody out of their boundaries of what they perceive to be real, like in Plato's cave, when they go outside of the cave and they've all their life, they've been interpreting the shadows as what's real, right? When Morpheus said, when Neo says to Morpheus, why do my eyes hurt? He goes, cause you've never used them before. It's the same thing to certain people. And I, I think that when you open up and, and don't get me wrong, some conspiracies are fucking crazy. Like don't, you just can't. Some of them are just like, whoa, that's too wild for me. But there are some that make sense. A lot of them make sense and they come from a place of truth, even if it's exaggerated or not. But when you shatter somebody's belief on what they thought to be real, it's like you're hurting them in some type of way. It's like they're having like some sort of ego death Mm. where they can't come to, you know, they can't come to and be like, okay, this is, and, and this is, we see it all the time, dude. Like, are you talking about the narratives? We see the narratives nowadays, right? This person against the other, you talked about 9-11 and, and, the, and the Muslim phobia that people were having for a while. We saw that now when this thing, you know, the 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 pandemic, right, came around and, and there was people hating against Asians, right? Because there was a narrative, though, that it came from China, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people don't look into the history either. And when you look into the history, it doesn't often repeat, but it, it, it'll rhyme, Right. So a lot of the things that we're seeing now, this divide and conquer has been used since the very beginning of time 
for fucking ever to keep people separated. And I feel that if we, if we are able to come together as some sort of collective consciousness, I think we would be able to do great things. I, I believe in the law of attraction where whatever you speak, it, you know, it could come into existence. Obviously if it, you have to align yourself with everything to make it happen. It's not like, Oh, if I say this, it'll happen. No, no, no. You have to do and take the right steps to work towards that. Mm. And I feel that I think magic is real. I think that it's been demonized for a long time because some people have used it for bad stuff, right? Like some people take it and they use it for things that aren't good. Like I was, I had Chris on <laughs> and I, I brought up a, an aphorism of Pythagoras because Pythagoras talk, he, the, the aphorism is nourish a cock, but sacrifice it not. Right. Cause it, it is of the sun. The whole thing behind that is don't kill animals, right? Don't kill yourself. Don't he, he, he preached against suicide. So don't kill yourself. Don't kill others. He believed that if you are able to destroy a grain of salt, you'll destroy yourself. So if a man is able to, to destroy just one grain of salt, eventually they'll kill themselves. Like they'll destroy themselves, right? And you can take that however you will as a as a whole. And we see that, right? Because I think I was listening to Manly P. Hall today where he said, usually, and I have an American flag behind me, usually whenever a country liberates themselves from, from tyranny, they become tyrannical themselves later on. And I mean, you could arguably say that we're seeing that now with, with how everything's going, but I feel like there's, there's bigger things behind the scenes. And you, you saw the newest thing that came out was Alec Baldwin that he killed somebody on set or whatever. Mm. I think they use things like that to distract us from the real things that are going on behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like they use all this sort of shit to, to distract us. Like, oh, focus on this, focus on this. And nowadays, it's what generates clicks, what generates like an emotional response. And people are just, they latch on to that. And and you see it, dude. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you've seen it, bro. We, we live in this world where it's like people are, it's like almost like this, this, this mass hypnosis of people where they, they're just fucking killing each other, bro, for, for ideas. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, At the end of the day, it's all an idea. Yeah, and that, that's why I, I'm so grateful to have a podcast that people listen to because for the past four or five years, my bridge out of that world was through podcasting because I, I was, you know, for a while <laughs> watching TV probably regularly and, and playing video games and just kind of like interested in this stuff, but it it didn't consume my whole life the way it has in the past four years because podcasting became an outlet for all this information. You know, you can hear perspective on a variety of topics from an even larger variety of people. And then within those topics finds, you know, new topics that you weren't even aware of. I mean, the whole uh, synchro mysticism topic it's something that I was vaguely familiar with because, you know, like you mentioned, the law of attraction, that's been something I've been aware of since I was probably 18 or so. And it's funny, I just interviewed for my podcast, my Sifu, the guy who taught me martial arts from the age of 15, 16 to about, well, actually probably 14 years old to about like 19, 20 years old. 
I, I trained martial arts and I became, you know, a teacher at his school and I helped him train other classes and I had him on my podcast. And it's funny because around like the time when I started really, you know, becoming an individual in the world outside of my family, you know, after high school, you start to like get out and make your make new friends and that sort of thing. Two of the first friends I had made, thanks to him, kind of inspired me to learn about the law of attraction. They gave me like a crystal as a gift. And I still probably have them somewhere because I've gotten a lot of crystals since. But this kind of uh, journey, it happened in small bits and it's really accelerated since then. And, you know, learning about synchromysticism I realized like, oh, this is something that's been going on in my life in small doses for a really long time. I just I just didn't really have the word for it. I think I'd probably read about it before through Robert Anton Wilson. But, you know, that's that's kind of really where it started. And then, like I said, I heard about it on this podcast. Chris Knowles, Michael Wan, Ross Ben, Court Lindahl, all of these guys have been talking about different things. There's so many more. Carl Joseph DeMarco is another really interesting guy who I haven't gotten in touch with yet, but it's funny because out of that list of people I just named, like three or four of them I've had uh, on my show and or talked to them in, in real life, met them in person. So it's just very strange how life unfolds that way. Like you said, if you put enough intention into something, you know, the law of attraction can can actually become a reality for you again you made this point and i like that you did so because it, it it came with preparation you know i have a lot of things that i've studied and looked at over many years and that's why you know to me it feels like podcasting like sped everything up because for the longest time it was just me reflecting on these things and sharing them with people for you know who for the most part weren't really concerned and that's where, you know, the my family thinks some crazy thing comes from because <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I've been like thinking about immortality and reincarnation and the pyramids and the Bermuda Triangle, which I love that you mentioned that because it connects to ley lines. Like when you look at the 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 geometry of the planet and, you know, I'm not against flat earth. I'm definitely not in the camp of like thinking through that paradigm, but I do respect it and I I like learning about what they're interested in sharing the people in the flat earth camp so to speak but you know for the most part these maps that we see of the earth have like a geo sort of geomantic spell going on where the energy right is channeled through certain buildings and whatnot and the bermuda triangle i think it's called a dodecahedron right it's one of these oh, sure. triangles in the this larger dodecahedron that you can trace along the planet you know it fits in somehow and i think it's even on the opposite side of the globe i don't know if it's the exact opposite side i actually have a globe behind me but it there's a place in, in Japan and China called the Dragon's Triangle where they have very similar <laughs> phenomena and it's, you know, kind of in between the coasts of China and Japan, right? The western coast of Japan, eastern coast of China. And um, and yeah, so that when you see those parallels, it really brings to mind like an energy field at work rather than, you know, some kind of just one-off mystical phenomena. You know, when, you know, I think you made this point 
in uh, the podcast I was listening to about like the lizard papers. Uh, you said like when you're looking at this puzzle and we don't have all of the pieces, it can be kind of confusing because you don't see the whole picture unless you have every piece of the puzzle. And I think that's really like something that I'm really stoked on podcasting about because you see so many people participating in these conversations. And in my mind, that makes me think like, well, now there's more people solving that puzzle together you know we're like crowdsourcing the great mystery and figuring it out together in a really honest way because i think you know podcasting it is kind of consensual in the sense that like people don't have to listen if they don't want to so like the podcasts get that get really big like those guys are getting big for a reason maybe it's because their intuition is kind of pointing them towards certain information that that group of people that listen to that show are also you know tuned into that frequency i think you know a lot of shows we can use as an example for that but you know the point being that there's a certain frequency of information maybe the akashic record or something that people tap into and i think with podcast conversations like this i in my experience i kind of feel like i'm tapping into that as well and just kind of like drawing on things I've learned and read from books, but like, I'll make the disclaimer, like I'm not a proficient reader. I I do a lot of skimming and scamming. And I think it's also important to, to have a purpose for reading something because, you know, it's easy to become disinterested in something in this modern age where there's like hundreds of distractions. And, and yeah, a lot of people fall victim to that distraction reality that they've tried to manipulate into our, actual reality you know with like constant advertisement and short form entertainment that like breaks down your attention span in a way i mean if you were born in the last like 30 years you know that's probably like you know it's not a coincidence that you probably know the term add or have used it or have said like oh i have add you know whatever or adhd you know i'm not a psychologist but you get my point it's like we're living in a, a world where you know things have sped up and uh, i think slowing down happens when you start to go inward whether that's through cannabis like it was for me you know kind of mixed with martial arts and having the discipline to go with smoking again like i said not all of my friends who smoke weed got onto this kind of spiritual vibe You know, maybe that's because that wasn't a part of their path or their purpose here in this lifetime. But, you know, for me, I think martial arts played a big role in in kind of giving me the backbone through which I could kind of see the, the hierarchy of things, right? You know, like in martial arts, the hierarchy is pretty clear. Like the guy who has a black belt teaches other people how to get to a black belt, you know? Well, yeah in this occult circles and whatnot it's kind of similar in the sense that like there are adepts who learn from masters who learn from like elders and you know they use different terms for all of these roles but we're talking about like a ritual initiation into a higher knowledge yeah and i'm sure that gave you the the discipline too because that's all about discipline at the end of the day and yeah it's funny you you talk about how how podcasting opened up your your perspective to everything, right? And I can relate to that because I was raised Pentecostal Christian, right? 
and I was indoctrinated from the very beginning. And I've been on the podcast, like accused, like, Oh, well, you talk about this. So you must believe it. Well, no, I want to learn how you said, I respect any idea or I've had Mark Sargent. I've had David Weiss on my show. I don't think the earth is flat, but I like to hear what they have to say about the flat earth. It's an interesting idea. And I always reserve the right to change my mind at whatever point in time. And I believe it was Aristotle that said, it is the mark of an educated man to discuss something, but not accept it. I'm paraphrasing that, but it comes back down to that, right? All of us, they, I don't know about you, but the person who really inspired me to like launch my podcast and eventually do it because I had always been thinking about it. And I believe that you're your own worst enemy when it comes to these sort of things. It was Joe Rogan, the one that really made me like, you know, listening to him. And then I feel like these podcasts, Joe Rogan, you know, you have Tripoli's podcast. I feel like they're like the top of the iceberg that really make you look deeper and look and go down these rabbit holes and start looking at other things. How you said of dude, cause we have all the information that was available to all of humanity right now in our fingertips, literally on a phone, right on, on our, but people, and how you said it's all about set and intention. If people choose not to look for it or not to dive deeper, they're going to stay where they are in like this infancy stage of, of spirituality, even if it, and it doesn't have to be spiritual, right? It can be something, whatever it is you want to make it right. Because not all, not everything, I don't want to say not everything is spiritual, but a lot of it is. I feel like my, my, my buddy, Jeffrey Davis said, he read a quote, it said, we are human, we are humans being not human beings. Right. So humans being, and he said that really made him think about it. Cause it's like, what are we? And, and you have, uh, I think it was Plato that brought this idea up where uh, it has to do with the third man argument. I don't know if, you, if you've heard of it where the man only accepts the role of a man because he accepts it. Right. So there's three, there's three men. There's how you see yourself. One, how others see you too, and how you actually are. Right. So there's three. And the funniest thing to me is that we talk about these guys from the year 300 and we regard them today, but then you're also led to believe how you're saying you were reading all these books in school that they weren't teaching you there. Those books are there for a reason, even if they acknowledge them or not, that knowledge is still there. And how do, why do we, acknowledge these ideas if they are woo-woo, right? How, how we've been taught, like as a Christian taught that, you know, magic is bad, you know, everything's a demon. Everything is, 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 you know, demonized at the end of the day. And it's like, is it really, or is that just from your perspective, from your point of view? You know what I mean? That's why I like to get different points of views, right? That's why, you know, I, I look at, I've looked into all religions and podcasting has done that for me, speaking to individuals like you, and doing my own research where I'm able to dive deeper. And at the end of the day, bro, like I've had a friend of mine tell me, he's like, bro, you're so smart. Cause I'll, 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 what was it that they said? Don't preach on to dead ears or something. Somebody said that sometime, right? Where, where, how you said you're talking to people who aren't interested in what you have to say, but then the people who are interested in what you have to say, like the people listening to this podcast and, and looking for our material, speak to them, right? Like bring awareness and, and, and talk to them about, and it doesn't have to be about conspiracy. It can be about whatever, but I had a friend of mine where he, he calls me whenever it's something that has to do with like religion. 
And I'm like, dude, I'm not the guy because I'll tell you about religion and this whole other aspect that the mainstream won't tell you about, right? Like I'll break it down, like the psychological effects it has on a person, et cetera, et cetera. And he's always like, oh, dude, you're so smart when it comes to all this stuff. And I go, yeah, I've, I've read a lot of things and I've dove down a lot of, or, or, or I've dived down a lot of wormholes and, and rabbit holes. But at the end of the day, I can't tell you what the nature of reality is, right? I can't tell you what this matrix is made out of, if it's a matrix or not. And you have guys like Rene Descartes, right? That talked about how the mind and the body are two separate things. Plato talked about the theory of forms, right? Where, where thoughts are on a whole another realm of existence, right? Because when you have an idea or a thought, it just like pops up to you, right? Like it just comes into your brain and you're like, where the fuck did, I, why didn't I think of that before? It's like, are we being broadcasted something? How you said from the Akashic Records. And I like to think of the idea of the Akashic Records. And dude, Ryan, Ryan Burns was one of the ones that put me onto this about Haplogene X, right? The Haplo group, where perhaps the ancient Egyptians, the Mayans, all these ancient civilizations from back then that just got up and disappeared. What if? they were able to attune themselves to a certain frequency at a certain time of the year, and they were able to leave as a whole. And I think that's what they're afraid of. And by they, I mean the archons, the reptilian overlords, whoever it is, because they know that if we're able to attune ourselves to a certain frequency and dude, the ley lines, like that's one of the craziest things I've ever been to. Have you heard of Coral Castle? I've heard of it, but I've never been down there. No. So I've been there, right? Because I have a place down in Homestead. It's in Florida. And a ley line goes through all of the 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 Everglades and, and that area there. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Everglades, but it's it's like that. It's like when you step out there, it's like you're in another dimension. It's like the the energy. And I don't know how to explain it. I'm not trying to be like, oh, it's just. No, when you're out there, it's like. It's, it's weird, bro. I don't know what it is. And it's always these places where there's nothing for miles and miles, like the desert, right? Where God was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 and all this stuff, right? It's always like the, these areas, these open areas where things happen, where you have no explanation for it. And maybe perhaps it, it does have to do with the ley lines where look at Nikola Tesla, bro. Nikola Tesla was trying to do that. They were trying to take energy from the atmosphere, energy that's already there. They were trying to harness it. But at the end of the day, what happened? JP Morgan cut off his funding because you can't industrialize and you can't make money from free shit, right? If they give the power to the little man, you can't make money off of that shit. And you see that throughout all of history where they monetize something, right? They, they, They give power to these empty symbols, which is fiat currency at the end of the day, which rules everything, bro. It's the, it's the most disgusting thing Mm. where we fill ourselves with these empty symbols. And at the end of the day, that's all it is, right? Empty symbols, but we regard them in such like we worship them, dude. We worship political parties, political ideas, individuals in government that they, they have, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like this, it's a cult, bro. It's it's a cult at the end of the day. And when you break away from that narrative, like Galileo, when he talked about how the earth rotates around the sun, they said, no, fuck you. You're exiled. You're excommunicated and you're a heretic. Mm. He was right, bro. Right. But the church said, nope at the time. And then they were like, oh, wait a minute. Let's, let's look this back over. And he was right. 
mm. but he was silent. So you see that now. How do you deal with when you, when we talk about these subjects that we're talking about, where alternative thought? I don't like to say conspiracy because a lot of the shit that we're talking about is history. It's not conspiracy. It's real life shit. And people get mad when you bring up history. It's like, dude, it's right there. You know what I mean? You can look this shit up yourself. It's right there. How do you deal with with like the 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 shadow banning and like silencing? Do you think that affects you at all? I'm sure it does. I mean, when, when you have a show as big as yours and the content that you put out, how do you deal with that, dude? Do, like, do you let it get to you? Because I don't let it really get to me all that much, but I I, I still do think about it, right? Because you're like chugging along, working towards making material and stuff like that. And you don't feel like it's reaching what it's supposed to reach because of the powers that be, you know? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because one of the better episodes I, I've ever put out in the sense of like a lot of people responded to it. You know, my buddy James from We The People Radio, he he had a, a conversation with me about a number of different things. And, you know, I titled it QAnon and, uh, you know, Plandemic and because podcasting you know there's no censorship you know if people are listening to this on like apple or spotify you know i would recommend you go ahead and listen to it on like podcast addict or maybe one of the podcast apps on podcasting 2.0's list of recommendations because they created a whole nother directory so that you can't just censor a podcast you know like oh, shit. You know, maybe Spotify and Apple can remove a, an episode from their list, but if you're listening to this podcast or my podcast on one of the apps that goes directly to the 2.0 directory, you know, you don't have to worry about censorship. So when I put that video out or that, sorry, that podcast out, I didn't care. And it got a lot of views, you know, almost 2000, which was huge for the time. Now we're, we're reaching that like on an average which is awesome, and thank you to anyone who listens to the show. But when I published all the audio to YouTube, that episode was the first one that got, like, banned, and they just banned it. They said, this is removed, it's against, and I didn't get any strikes or anything like that. But, you know, that's fine, because I never intended on being a YouTube guy anyways like that's not what my you know it's funny somebody commented on a video and said hey i love your channel and i'm like this is a podcast not a channel i didn't say that because that <laughs> might be rude and and thank you for listening i appreciate it but yeah this is a podcast and i think i believe in the podcasting technology and i hope that people on youtube who listen to audio on youtube would just go ahead and download a podcast app and support us that way because that's where you know freedom of information is really being uh, maintained i think and and that's what i'm all about you know i don't like you said we don't have to know all the answers or have an opinion but it's awesome to have an open mind and dive into this stuff like you made me think of tartaria a little bit when you, you said what you said there and i i love all the tartaria information it's super fascinating but at the same time i do see people who i i like I don't agree with some of the claims that they're making and it just doesn't make sense with some of the history that we have evidence for, you know, like I, I do think that there are a bunch of lies about how the indigenous Americans in North America and South America lived their lives. Yeah, their history has been lost to a large degree, but does that mean that they built buildings like the ones that are still in city halls everywhere or that they were you know neighbors to an empire that built those buildings like those questions have to be answered because you know whether they you know 
were part of it or not, they were here. We know they were here. So that's where the Tartaria stuff to me brings up a lot of questions. I'm like, okay, I'd love to to learn more about indigenous cultures and, and how they built structures. And when I have looked into that, you find out that in the 1600s or 1500s, they had forts, you know, built out of stone and looked a lot like what we would call star forts to this day, you know, and bastion forts and whatnot. So that's an interesting connection. But, you know, did they build the courthouses that we have in our city halls or, you know, in the main parts of cities that people are pointing to and saying that those are Tartarian? I don't know. I, I just it doesn't it doesn't seem to add up to me that there would these cities would be here at the same time that the indigenous cultures were unless of course they were all completely buried underground and you know the indigenous cultures had no way of knowing they were there and you know somehow the colonial cultures did but at the same time we do have evidence for really amazing stone structures that are built by supposedly gods according to the indigenous cultures you know where i live there's these called balancing stones where you'll see like a huge two three ton boulder and it's perched on like three or four smaller kind of like maybe a couple hundred pound stones and it's like you know how did that end up there you know because it doesn't look like it rolled like out of the sky there like you know and if it did fall from the sky how did it land perched on four other boulders you know and that's like so Clearly, there's some kind of megalithic technology or techniques, whether that's metaphysical or technological. I don't know, but that's where I'm like, okay, so there is evidence for some strange stuff going on here in North America. Does that mean that like a Russian Mongolian civilization was behind it? I don't know. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe the, those same groups of people you know, came to the northern part of America a long time ago. So they had a connection culturally and they were sharing information. And that's why some of the structures look European. But, you know, to me, I think we have to be careful. Like you said, a lot of people read stuff on Instagram. I'm guilty of that myself. But at the same time, you know, I go and look for books about Tartaria and that's kind of hard. There's not a lot of books on Tartaria, but Luckily for me, I live close to Yale University, so some of their books get like put into used bookstores and, you know, in the area. And I found this book called The Vinland Map and the Tartar Relation, and it's showing you these old maps and showing how on these old maps there is an area in like the north eastern part of Asia called Tartaria, right? So we do have evidence for this place existing whether or not that means it was here in North America, you know, that's that's interesting. And and whether or not it connects to like the Tesla technology and stuff that's also included in the Tartaria information, it's like, well, considering the ley lines and how a lot of these indigenous structures were built with that kind of stuff in mind, and then some of the colonial structures were also built with that stuff in mind, it's like we do see that there's a, a sort of at least an occult culture of builders who know how to build along these sort of energetic corridors, and they share different cultures. Now, that, you know, brings up in my mind right now, the Freemasons, like pretty outwardly occult group and also associated with architecture. I mean, you know, so we have evidence for this kind of thing. And the Temple of Solomon was 
built in the proportions of a man and was a holy building. And the other, the second temple, I think it's of Shenekar. I'm not Hebrew, so I don't know how to pronounce the, the word, but it was like equivalent to the divine building, right? So the temple of Solomon was like divine masculine. And then the second one was the oh, divine yeah. feminine, right? So you have this kind of microcosm macrocosm thing going on where when you're in a structure it actually has a resonance with your physical anatomy it's built to the same proportions and and then when you consider like that a lot of these indigenous structures i was talking about at least in the northeast are aligned with the stars what kind of microcosm macrocosm effect is that i mean that's obviously you know, what we hear about when we hear that indigenous cultures, at least, you know, in the Southwest, a lot of them talk about star people and, you know, around the world, there's different cultures who have different names for that sort of thing. And then we see them connected to the, the stars through stone, you know, to me, that's more interesting than like the Tartaria, you know, Tesla tech stuff, because it, it's just more tangible, you know. Yeah. I've yet to find it. I don't know. I, I really, I'm curious to go further on that. But yeah, that's that's definitely one of those subjects that I'm like getting into with an open mind. And, and I'm sure people will hear this and have like some stuff they want to send me. I invite people to because, you know, I can't do it alone. I want to find all the information. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was right. You know, and that's what's so cool again about doing this podcasting thing because I've made a lot of really great new friends since starting my podcast who share these similar interests. And that's like, you know, tying back into the title of my show. Like a lot of my friends thought I was crazy too for a really long time and they still do like, so it's, it's definitely, you know, coming full circle. Yeah. I like the Tartaria stuff and I can, and, and I can agree with you on, <clears throat> on, on some of the things there that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you said where, <clears throat> Damn, the archons are really out for me today. <laughs> Where a lot of it doesn't make sense. Anatoly Fomenko, uh, he wrote that series of of you know pretty much history is is not what it seems. I've said this before. His story, his story. It's written by the people who won, right? Like I, I talk a lot about the Gnostics, and a lot of the things that we know about the Gnostics are from people who hated them. The guys that wrote about them hated them, hated their guts. So I can agree with you that it does some of it, a lot of it doesn't make sense. Right. But then at the same time, what we're reading places, how much of that can we believe? Right. Because the people behind that, how they, what were their intentions when they wrote that? Why would they write it? Right. You're talking about the Freemasons and all these people. It's, it's, and Manly P. Hart recently listened to lecture. It's the the secrets of the thirty three the thirty third degree Freemasons, mm. and the opening lines on that lecture gave me the goosebumps because he said, "We are dealing with people who are of this world, but not of this pretty much not of this dimension. So they're out of this world, and and when they're wiped out." they'll be gone for a little bit and they'll find a way back in. Mm. What the fuck did he mean by that? <laughs> I have no idea. This is, this is a lecture from the fifties, right? So a lot, a lot can be opened up for interpretation. Yeah. But it's individuals like him that 
he was a Freemason. He was all this stuff, and, and he was in that occult circle. How much of the information can we trust that he's telling us? You know what I mean? Because if it truly, like the, like the book, right? I have the, I have a copy of The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Is it really secret if you wrote a book about it? Is it still a secret? You know what I mean? If you're exposing it, if you're bringing it out mm. into the world. Well, I would say to that, because I have that same book. I have two copies of it. Funny enough, I got like the textbook version of it before I got the like nicer version with all the images in it. So I've seen like, because you're right, there is a level of discernment that you have to have and take with you when you're reading whatever it is. You can't just like see the title of a book and be like, oh, wow, the secrets of all the ages. I'm going to figure it all out, you know, and you know, just in the differences between the so-called reader's version and the textbook version, I saw like, yeah, okay, there are many angles to understand this stuff. And I think the secret also comes with like, well, most people aren't going to look for that. So it is kind of a yeah. secret in the sense that like, it's the road less traveled. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, Manly P. Hall has inspired a lot of what I've looked into since first getting his book so many years ago. And just kind of like it's weathered now, you know, it really is kind of beaten up. Pages are falling out of it. And it's because I've like loved it and read through it. And it's kind of full of codes that you then need to go and look into other books to then figure out what yeah. he's really talking about. So there is a level of secrecy there. And he has a, a philosophical research society, which is like a mail-in sort of society and I think Rudolf Steiner was another person who was very prolific like him at that time, maybe a little earlier than him. But like, you know, there's this sort of idea of, of channeling. Maybe it's the Akashic Record. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit, you know. Maybe it's the... Because I don't necessarily dismiss like the Christian stuff, even though culturally they've done a lot of crazy stuff and they've done a lot of things that uh, should be considered crimes it's yeah. it's definitely you know universal at least my take on it like these things like i was just reading this book african black or brazilian black magic it's about this like afro-brazilian kimbanda it's like a black magic type art and they yeah. talk about spirit possession and they talk about the difference between being like embodied by a spirit or possessed by a deity, right? So it's kind of it's kind of like uh, interesting. Interesting that my mom just yelled as I talk about <laughs> that subject. But yeah, the they have a whole different approach to what you know people who are from the Christian perspective would think is like a totally dangerous, devilish, demonic thing. They're more taking it as like, no, this is spiritual embodiment is how we bring our ancestors into the now and commune with them, right? And we hear about this in indigenous cultures. And I think, you know, black magic, white magic, all it is is like the dark side and the light side. You know, you have to have both. You have to have a balance of both. And, and I don't think being ignorant of the dark side is better than knowing it. I think knowing it is is the only way to to overcome the forces of darkness in a way like when we listen to podcasts like i did uh you know episode 377 of tinfoil hat about alistair crowley 
the first time I was talking about anything with Sam on that show. You know, it was my first chance to be on the show. I could have picked a number of things to talk about, but I picked that because I had heard such a mix of opinions on Crowley and information on Crowley. So I decided, like, all right, well, I want to give my take on it because it's not all like good and he wasn't like punk rock you know and now a lot of people like sam are like fuck that guy and i felt that energy kind of happening around that time too because the whole stop the you know save the kids movement right that that whole movement was happening around that time and it's it is dark the things that crowley has done and inspired and some of the people who were inspired by him have done really dark things and it connects to the Hollywood stuff, which again is another, you know, huge topic of interest on that show and many other podcasts, because we're seeing the predictive programming. We're seeing how the occult influenced the movie industry and the television industry. You know, like what's the like one of the longest running TV shows that still operates? Wheel of Fortune, you know, that Wheel of Fortune, mm -hmm. that's a tarot card, you know, like that's that's a really deep concept, you know, and now it's a game show. So like there are so many different occult aspects to this realm and Crowley has a weird influence on it. So I'm like, all right, we're going to tackle that and kind of give my opinion on it and, and what I found. And, and it was, uh, it was definitely a big contribution to starting my show. Cause everybody like for the next three months was like, Oh, you got to do more episodes on Crowley. You got you know, and I kind of backed away from the subject because it is kind of dark and that's not, that's not my vibe. You know, I'm more interested in like yeah. indigenous cultures because their teachings have inspired me a lot more than Crowley ever did. And, you know, a lot of the like real, like you said, the, the, the his story, well here in where I'm from and actually where you're at too in Florida, I mean, it's colonial, you know, all these colonial yeah. empires came here and changed the history of this land forever, you know? So that's become a really big topic of interest for me lately. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you bring up Alistair Crowley. I, I've, I've been on that boat too. I call him Alistair Cuckley because he, again, I brought up Pythagoras at the beginning of the podcast and I don't know where we got lost in translation, right? We had Pythagoras, which could, he, he was, supposedly the one that inspired the 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 word philosopher right because back then they would call you a sage but a sage knows the knowledge a philosopher is looking for it and i don't know where we got lost in translation of pythagoras talked about not killing yourself not killing animals not sacrificing animals you know not destroying one another he practiced uh, he practiced different diets fasting he wouldn't he wouldn't eat beans because they resemble the human fetus so this is a guy who talked about this stuff. And then later down the road, we get lost in translation with Plato's The Republic, where he talked about eugenics. And then from there, it goes down, down, further down the rabbit hole. You have people such as Manly P. Hall and all these other occult philosophers, if you will, where out of nowhere, you have guys like Aleister Crowley that talked about what, what is it? Do what thou wilt, because love is the land of the law or some shit like that. Or, or the law of the land, whatever his, his thing was. But then my whole thing with Aleister Crowley was, is the, the kid stuff, right? The, the, at the end of the day, that's, that's what gets me. And I have a lot of friends that read his works and, and I've, I've read his works, right? I've read his works. And 
again, I just can't get behind that aspect because I feel that, and I think if somebody said it on my show, before Aleister Crowley, we were at that that breaking point of being able to achieve this next thing, right? This this sacred, beautiful knowledge. And then they come and they pervert it, right? You have such as the Knights Templar, for example. Yes, they were mercenaries. Yes, they killed a bunch of people, but they got lost in translation. Later down the road, it turned out that they were worshiping Baphomet and doing all this crazy shit. Because again, I feel that one bad apple spoils the rest. And you always have this infiltration of darkness that comes into these, these esoteric beliefs and, and these occult systems that, that, that these guys practice. Because even Pythagoras said, you know, he would do, uh, th- th- he had three initiations and one of them was you couldn't speak for five years. And, and you, had to be, you had to study math, you had to study all these things before he would even initiate you to be able to, to, to teach you the knowledge. And if you talked about occult symbolism, this country is founded on occult symbolism. All the guy, all the founding fathers, all the philosophies, all the arts, all the sciences, all that. They were all Rosicrucians, they were all Freemasons, they were all some sort of something. And the reason that they were that is because whatever realm that they were in of science in order for them to want to achieve the next level, they felt that they needed to go through these initiations and these ceremonies and these rituals in order to maybe tap into an Akashic records of sorts or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, it was all about finding this Godhead, right? This, this, this higher being, whatever it is, if it's, if it is God, if it is, you know, whatever the monad, whatever you want to name it, at the end of the day, that's what these guys are trying to find. Like the guy who invented Gottfried Leibniz, he invented the binary code for computers. His whole thing was that law of attraction, that our thoughts could affect reality. But these are guys that influence things that we use today. Charles Babbage, the guy who invented the, the modern day computer, was trying to find the existence of God through technology. We can't ignore the fact that we use shit that these guys were coming up with through occult means, through alchemical means, like the Knights Templar. They made the 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 financial system that we know today of interest of of depositing here and pulling it out over there. The the Knights Templar did that through supposed alchemical means, through rituals, right? They had supposed the supposed head of John the Baptist that that supposedly to them would prophesy. There's an ancient Egyptian idea where if you have the head of a prophet, it prophesizes to you. And supposedly Baphomet was the head of John the Baptist. And you said channeling. I've listened to shit, probably 50 hours worth of Manly P. Hall's work, right? And I can't get over the fact that every time this man would speak and sit down on his little throne at his society place, his building, it was as if he was channeling this information that was given to him. He would speak without pauses for an hour, two hours, two and a half hours, without any notes, without anything. Almost like he was in like this, this trans-like this trans-like state. He would just sit there and just talk. All this knowledge, bro. The definitions of things, the symbolism behind everything. And I'm like, where the fuck? How is he able to do that? You know what I mean? Mm. Maybe these guys... They were, they are tapping a lot of the works of Aleister Crowley. He channeled, right? A lot of the words, a lot of the, a lot of the books that he wrote, right? Liber, whatever, you know, a lot of his works he channeled. And I feel that maybe a lot of ancient scriptures were like that, where, where they were interpreting like the, the cuneiform tablets. They were sitting in front of a high priestess, 
that was able to tap into that next realm and they would be able to write down this information. Only, only the high priestess would know and it was sacred knowledge, right? And somewhere along those lines, it eventually started to get into the hands of people and we're able to meditate and do these different things. We're able maybe psilocybin, you know, marijuana, all these different substances, DMT, like all these different things that are criminalized. They are like, for example, me, dude, like one of the things that really opened up my eyes and it's the dumbest shit ever, but gardening and taking care of my lawn, right? It really opened up my eyes of how they criminalize and demonize everything. A lot of the weeds that I was killing in my yard in order to have just regular grass that is sterile, that is a grass that is grown in a lab somewhere. A lot of the weeds are medicinal, bro. Mm. So I'd be looking up how to kill this weed. And then I'd come up with the name identify and I go, holy shit, this is used for kidney stones. It's going in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Telling us kill that, get rid of the dandelions, right? One of the best medicinal things that there is yeah. in the world. Kill that. You have to get rid of it. You know what I mean? And that's how. Well, think about society. Yeah, and let's let's go back because you you said a lot, and I I before we got onto this, there was something that connects back to what you just said, especially about dandelions. But you know, you mentioned I think Pythagoras had a quote about salt. You know, not one grain of salt, and you know, salt in alchemy, which is what the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons and the Ordo Templi Orientis that Aleister Crowley started, and he was inspired by the Order of the Golden Dawn, which was started in part, you know, with Rosicrucians. So, you know, this stuff, it, it goes back to the, the tree of life and, and in alchemy. And in alchemy, salt is considered a metaphor for the body, right? You have salt, sulfur, and mercury. And, and you mentioned another quote about how, you know, someone is, a man is is like, who they're seen in the world, who, how they see themselves and who they actually are. Well, let's break that down. You know, uh, who the world sees is your body, who you see is your mind and who you actually are is your soul, right? So within the world that we live in, there are these inherent patterns you know, we can go back to mathematics and see that it's like sacred geometry. Yeah, Metatron's cube. Right? right, right. And the Fibonacci sequence and all these different, and the golden ratio. So we see that the creator in mathematics, we see the creator through those mathematics in Western culture. But, you know, thousands of years of, of human uh, cultures and different cultures around the world, there's a lot of different ways to interact with God and I think the tree of life and the creator that's one of them Crowley I think took a darker path and I think that's mostly in part to the times he was in and the culture he was raised into and like rebellion that he kind of displayed against the brethren church that he was raised in like this strict really strict Christian cult in England and he was also you know really wealthy I think his grandfather passed away and left him with a like a huge sum of money and he you know used that money to go and mountaineer and travel in the mountains and and at that time like learning occult stuff I mean you know was probably more fashionable than it 
has been for the past 50 years. Yeah. Well, and not just edgy, but like, if you think about it, like people always want to be a part of like a club or a group, right? And what are these secret societies? They're clubs and they're groups. So Crowley joined a club and was like, oh, I could do this and started his own club. And then, you know, just like we see with cults, you know, if you give someone too much power over a group of people, they're going to become, you know, probably like the lower consciousness, all of the worst parts of our lower consciousness and forget why they even set out to do that in the first place and why anyone ever sets out to learn that stuff is in pursuit of higher consciousness. And when you do, you start to connect with the land, you start to connect with the other spirits around you, whether they're good or bad. I tend to think that like when people run into things like what's happening at Skinwalker Ranch, it's like, well, look at what the military's done to all these sacred places and what the military industrial complex has done, the corporate structure, which really is part and parcel to the military industrial complex. Look at what they've done to the environment. I think that stirs up maybe like the elemental forces in those remote areas that you described and creates maybe a manifestation of that in the form of a skinwalker or in the form of some sort of energy that we see as a monster or something, but it's really like an elemental, something that people have interacted with for thousands of years and different you know have different names for it like in the east they call them like jinn or diva you know and all these different words for for the same thing that we would call maybe like a demon or a daemon or a uh, elemental or a fairy or any of these like energy spirits that and now i think ghosts too kind of like people just call anything a ghost you know or a demon too kind of falls like people think of ghosts as demons but i think it's more appropriately like when we die our soul can kind of stick around here or can ascend to an, the next version of what it means to be human or maybe come back to another lifetime you know i think that's what we have to consider when we're looking at all this stuff that's just my personal belief but i think you know you can see that in a lot of cultures the idea of ancestors reincarnation and kind of time not being linear like we see it now in the modern world and and yeah maybe that's a whole lot farther from my point than i intended but i think <laughs> pythagoras is is interesting you know and manly p hall too like they, they're just like keepers of information but that information can be tapped into by all of us because like i said there's like an inherent code to the world around us we see it in those patterns that we can call the golden ratio and the other words for it but i think no matter what culture you're talking about they have a, some sort of recognition of this you know, creative force in the universe and our relationship with it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned when we, when we die, right, our spirit stays here and the idea of the Wendigo being a manifestation of, of the dark self, maybe, right. Your, that, that, that ego that you don't want to talk about uh, how Carl Jung says, when you bring the subconscious into the conscious you will just call it fate and let it rule over your life, right? Whatever he meant by that. And he also talked about how, how if you're able to tap into your dark self, you're able, to, it'll show you the secrets of everything. And elementals, Manly P. Hall talks about that a lot, where if you're a man, and by man, I mean, you know, if you're a person and you have something that's bothering you, you manifest an elemental, 
right? Somewhere, either it'd be into the ether or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Because I think it's either the second or third law of thermodynamics says that energy can only cannot be destroyed. It can only be transformed. So 100%, I believe that once we die, this energy either lingers or goes into the ether or, or something happens where we are maybe seeing these, these right in places where the, where the, the veil is thin, such as places like Skinwalker Ranch or the Bermuda Triangle or the, the Dragon's Triangle, which I didn't know about these places like that of high strangeness where through maybe quartz that's in the ground and certain like in Skinwalker Ranch, there's only certain types of rocks that are found there, right? The, you have the ancient Egyptians that use quartz and all types of rocks to build their structures. And we have no fucking idea what they were for, but they had to have served a purpose. Not what they teach us in school about them being tombs. I think that there was another purpose to that. And that's why I say that, that a lot of these, if you look at history and a lot of these civilizations that died off, that just disappeared off the face of the earth. I think that they were able to eventually tap into something, right? Rather that's metaphysical or not. And, and to touch on the subject of the metaphysical, look at quantum physics, bro. Like quantum entanglement, quantum tunneling, quantum whatever. That shit's woo-woo as fuck. But that's science, right? That's science. Like Rene Descartes, he, he talked about that. He said where the mind and the body are two separate entities. And maybe one can exist without the other and vice versa. Who, who knows? Right. But these are all the ideas that I like to talk about and, mm. and yeah. really dive into. And I think we can end it on that note, bro. I had a ton of fun on this episode. We, we really went deep. <laughs> yeah. And I had a lot of fun, dude. Can you for one more time with the listeners, or if you have any closing remarks that you want to add to that, share your social media where people can find your work. Or they can go show some love. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, having me on. It was a pleasure meeting you, a pleasure talking to you about all this stuff. We did go into a lot of my favorite topics, so to speak, and I've kind of uh, expanded the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast into a couple different podcasts now. You know, it started with helping the Yogi Zorananda get his podcast going. And then Michael Wan, I published a bunch of his YouTube videos, his audio on the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast feed. And now him and I do a podcast together called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, which is really fun. And we do that just over the phone, like it's just a phone call. So it sounds a little different and it has a different sort of feel. You know, we're not sitting in front of our computers per se or or doing like presentations with uh, screen shares and whatnot like Mike is used to doing so it's a little more casual and we get into stuff that's going on in our daily lives and and of course all the research that ties in with that and then another really cool new show that i started doing with some friends from the generation z podcast is called the elemental philosophorum and we're basically breaking down different elements on the periodic table and you know I came to learn that all of this stuff comes from alchemy, right? So there's so many interesting like little pieces of information that you can find out just by taking a look at one element on the periodic table. So, so far we hit fluorine and we hit iron. So we'll be 
touching on a new uh, element soon. We plan on doing that at least once a month or twice a month. But but yeah, so there's a lot going on. And MyFamilyThinksSomeCrazy.com is the place to find all of it, as well as the Patreon, Rockfin, and putting more stuff on Rockfin. Like I said at the beginning, I got a new laptop on the way. So hopefully I'll be more connected than I have been with this kind of old machine I've been working with for the past couple of years it's awesome, dude. And and like I said, follow me on social media at the Horn Home Podcast, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I just made a Twitter actually. So just trying to get the the word out there, right? And spread awareness and talk about these different subjects that some people maybe think about but don't want to talk about it, right? Because mm. there's all this dogma and just how back then you were ruled a heretic. And my family thinks I'm crazy too, bro. They, they, you know, I've talked about these things and it's like, oh, what do you, you have a podcast? Well, what is it about? I was like, well, you just wouldn't understand, would you? Right. Because I feel that, you know, yeah. some people aren't attuned to certain frequencies and it, I don't know if it's happened to you, but maybe you've read or listened to some material right at one point in your life and it didn't make any sense to you. But then, you know, time goes on and, and the deeper you dive into things and you come back and you listen to it again and it makes perfect sense to you that one time around mm. you're like, wait a minute, but it made no fucking sense to me the first time. So yeah, dude. And I want to thank you for coming on and you're always welcome to come back on whenever. Yeah. You like yeah. And, that'd be you know, awesome. Shoot this shit. Yeah. And, right on. You know, I love these conversations, bro. Right on, dude. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And thanks to whoever's listening. I appreciate you. And I hope you check out my channel. And, and then, yeah, one, I definitely want to invite you over to Alt Media United, the podcast cooperative that I've been putting together for the past uh, almost a year now, coming close to a year. And, and yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about that off the uh, off the air here. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we'll end it now. <laughs> gentlemen thank you and welcome to the big dumb podcast i'm your host kyle the rain man retard rainy <laughs> and do we have a show for you tonight dude i love seeing the when we're recording just that spike of the can popping it's dude, just that like, was a good one today it was good dude it was like a big line so you know it popped real good do we have a good show for you guys today this was interesting i'll i'll say not negatively at all this is not what i expected i went into this thinking Man, this guy's going to have all the answers. He's going to break it all down for us. All my questions will be answered. Yeah. And, dude, me and Puds are both sitting here like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, I have way more questions than I started with. Yeah. But I think that's a good thing. You know what I mean? Because it's, he subverted our expectations and kind of brought us down some new avenues on this topic that I've never heard before, never seen before, never even heard discussed amongst uh, the podcasts and, and he researchers that I listened to. information to back it up. Yeah, we it, had books, know. we had maps. So we had Mark Steves on tonight of My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. He's been on the show before. We've done a few group shows together. And man, he just went off on... Uh, 
Nice. On the whole uh, Tartaria topic and how it relates to indigenous peoples all over the world, you know, especially in the Americas, North and South America and Canada, U.S., Mexico, all that. And then also like in, you know, Western, I'm sorry, Eastern Europe and, and Asia with like the Mongolians and things like that. And really just blew my mind. So this is a good episode. I, you might want to watch it for the maps. And then, of course, just look into it yourself for the, the information on the maps. Because you really got to dive into them. And they're in different languages. So very interesting. And it's not your typical Tartaria conversation, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Definitely not your typical But I think it was very there, insightful. a whole lot of information that's kind of all over the place. But it's all but connected, yeah. It is all connected, and for like we sure, said in the episode, it doesn't have to be. To look into. It doesn't have to be under one umbrella. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we talked giants, we talked ancient cultures. You know, like like you said in the podcast, don't whitewash it. Yeah, just like no. take it for what it is yes. and try to find where it, where it fits. And you really got to get away from your whole, you know, the whole narrative of what our history is to really break this stuff down. So be sure to check out all the podcasts he mentions at the end of the show. Check out My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. It's a a number one hit. It's out there. He's killing it. I appreciate him coming on, taking the time to talk to us tonight. And anything else? What else is going on? Not much, man. It really is a privilege to have him on, man. Yeah. And check out the beer reviews. They're, They're a lot of fun. It's really just a time to just like... Have a good time, have some laughs, tell and some stories. With you guys, we've, yeah, we've that's had really a couple people in the past like three beer reviews. We've had somebody commenting and asking questions. Yeah, dude, and that's and what we love. Awesome, we yeah. love that. Come on, I talk love the to interaction. us. Exactly, dude, and and that's the time to do it. I, Again, in the last, send us questions or get on and ask us questions. Yeah, absolutely. Please. And I we I put out it. a in the most be- recent beer review on the description. I said we're gonna try to do beer reviews on Wednesdays at the same time every Wednesday. But my dumbass scheduled like three podcasts for next Wednesday, so we won't be doing a beer review next Wednesday. It might be a different day or might not happen at all next week. But we got to no, bank we up. Could so- probably do a Monday night beer review. We have a show Monday night. We're recording, but hey, maybe we could do it live. So we have a show Monday night, two Wednesday, and one on Thursday. Yes, and I'm so sorry, dude. I'm so sorry, but it's gonna be great. We're gonna have some shows. Brain is gonna be. It'll be fun, dude. Hey, maybe we make smooth brain by the end of it. (laughs) You smooth brain cretin. But maybe we'll make one of them a live show. And just for shits and gigs, I'll, I'll talk to some of the, the guests we're having on and, and do that. But it's going to be a, a week of great shows, but I'm going to space yeah, them out great because shows, I, really. I am going to be uh, out of town the, the following week. I think in like two weeks from now, I'll be out of town. We're so definitely going to hold some back for future. Yes. So um, just a quick teaser. We're going to have the Patriot Party on. We're going to have Alex Stein, Primetime 99 on the show oh, and yeah. Generation Z podcast. They're going to be on the show to talk aliens. I'm super excited for that one. Oh. Okay. And then and then we're also going to have a guy named Jim Gale on. He's been featured on a ton of podcasts, including Tinfoil Hat. Dude, to I feel talk like about. we need some cocaine when we talk to Alex Stein just to be on his be level. Be on his level? Yeah, dude. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe we can arrange something. I'm not maybe not cocaine, Probably but maybe we not. can arrange something. We maybe like just a lot like of coffee. Chug a Red Bull right before we yeah, go on dude. with him. So yeah. we're all like, ah, I'm a trans woman. 
yeah, yeah. So stay tuned for that. But guys, enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun. Very interesting. And again, this is, like I said at the beginning, more questions than answers. And it just prompts, I hope it prompts you all to do your own research, look into these topics a little deeper. And I, as I, you'll hear in the show, I recommended Mark set up a Alt Media United reading list. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, a book club, dude. I think that because... Not all of us are great readers or know where to get the right stuff, but he is the man. I wouldn't even know where to start when it would come to truth seeker literature. Yeah, I have no idea. Graham Hancock is a good place, but I mean, he's even then he's kind of mainstream. I don't know. So, well, anyway, guys, uh, check us out. Follow us. Stay tuned for all the shows and beer reviews coming up. Send us a donation. We'll read your note on the show and, you know, all that great stuff. Buy our t-shirts. They're awesome. And enjoy the show. Yeah. Thanks for watching and listening and cheers. Cheers. All right, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is going to be a good one. I'm super excited for this. This is a topic that I've been very curious about for the past year or two, uh, ever since some random guy at the bar told me about it. And we, I've been looking for people to talk about it and who maybe have done a little more research than me because this is the big dumb and we don't really know too much. So I went to one of the experts, in my opinion, in my opinion, I'm not saying he's an expert, but I think he is uh, more than me. And it's, <laughs> he knows uh, a whole lot more than either of us. Exactly. Sure. And so we got Mark on from my family thinks I'm crazy, dude. Thanks for coming on the show again. I think you're one of our only returning guests so far. So thanks for having you on, dude. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, dude. I'm really excited to get a little Tartaria talk, a little lost history, ancient knowledge, dude. So what's going on, man? How you been? This is fucking rad. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad I could be your first returning guest. I must be doing something right. Well, everything is going great over here and on the search for more books. Because like you said, I'm somewhat knowledgeable, but I too like to uh, hold up the clause that, Hey, you know, I'm just doing the research. You should do your own. And I especially like to make that sort of uh, clear when I talk about Tartaria, because if we want to jump right into it, I can tell you guys, tell you guys how I first found out about it and what I've learned about it since. But if you haven't heard of me before, my podcast is called my family thinks I'm crazy and it's really true. They actually do. They have for, 15 years now, ever since I started being honest about what I thought, maybe I, or, or as things just got clearer and clearer for me, uh, what reality honestly looked like. So yeah, I really appreciate being here twice. You know, you guys are fun hang and, and that's the kind of kind of podcast I appreciate being on. Cause like I said, I'm not exactly the most knowledgeable but I try to be so I want to make this a little funner than uh oh than yeah your dude. standard you I'm, know stiff and I thought the big dumb podcast would be a great place to <laughs> have yeah. some fun and, and chill and talk because you guys are that's what we do chill. here man so that's what's what up? we do I'm stoked to have you man so yeah so I'll tell you about how I first heard about Tartaria I mentioned it in our little intro there and then you can tell tell me how you got into it but I was at a local bar here in our little small town and there's this guy and he, he he's always with another dude like they're like you know like a duo kind of thing and it's like almost a cartoon character type guy like one guy's really tall and one guy's really small and they they have weird names like one guy's name was light i think it was like light is what he called himself and i was like huh. okay like you know turn a light on and then i don't remember the others i think it was art or something like that it was really weird but they're light. super cool guys they were always at the bar and i was watching a video about like 
the yellow time cube or something like that, some crazy shit on YouTube. And I think he was like, what are you watching, man? And I kind of told him, he's like, bro, have you heard of Tartaria? And I was like, he's a big Mexican guy. And I was like, uh, <laughs> no, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, it's a lost civilization, man. Erased from history. And I was like, what the fuck? And so I looked it up and it sure as shit, it was like Tartaria was an ancient civil. I was like, why have I never heard about this? And so then I've just been like, keep it in the back of my mind like see and then just recently in our community it's kind of popped off like a bunch of people have been going deep on it so that's how i heard about it and i still don't know too much about it you know so uh, yeah. i know it's connected to a lot of things so so mark how did you hear oh puds did, what did you have you heard about it before I mean, this I, not before we started the podcast I okay hadn't. okay so once we got into it and i've just heard it thrown around i haven't heard like too terribly much about it okay um, well, Mark, what about you? When did you first get into it? Right on. Yeah. So I might've uh, talked about this in the past and some of my stories connected on the right end here. Sorry about that. So when I was a delivery guy, I basically spent eight hours a day listening to podcasts nonstop. I had three different delivery jobs. I delivered for the Chinese food place when I first like got into delivering when I was a lot younger and wasn't listening to podcasts. And I basically just fell in love with like driving around, smoking weed and doing my own thing and, and getting paid <laughs> to do it. You know, nice. just speeding around, you know, so that, you know, made me fall in love with the whole thing of being a delivery guy for whatever reason. So I sought out more jobs like that. And my buddy Jay, who I did the podcast with for some time, he offered me a job at this bakery. So I'm waking up at like two in the morning, three in the morning sometimes to go to this bakery and deliver bread throughout Yale University and across Connecticut, right? Yale was one of the clients that this bakery had. Nice. So, you know, that's all to kind of give you the scenery. And then I became an Amazon delivery guy, but this Tartaria thing happened while I was delivering bread. So I'll stick to just that part of the story. So this kid gets hired to be a driver. And the first three drivers I had trained were all like Hispanic guys who didn't speak English. So I, it wasn't exactly like a fun, like shift training these guys. Cause they like, you know, we're sitting in the same van for four hours and they can't even talk to me. So finally there's a person who's training who can actually talk to me, which is great. And not only that, he starts talking to me about conspiracies. Oh, I'm like, shit. what the hell? Cause I, I'm, I'm like, you know, listen, dude, I listen to podcasts. Like this is how I get through my shift. So if you don't mind, like I'm going to play this and we're going to drive. Cause it's like, you know, four hours, you driving on the highway, you're making stops. Like you just met the guy, you know, what are you going to talk about? So I told yeah. him, like, I'm just going to play a podcast. And he's like, what? like, I listen to the tinfoil hat too. I listen, you know, so we, we made that connection, oh, which was so strange and kind of rare at the time. Cause Cause I felt like, you know, oh, I'm the only guy who listens to podcasts that I know. Right. Uh, so it was, it that. was really unique to meet someone else. Yeah. So I had heard of this guy, Max Egan, you know, I heard about him. I probably listened to him when he was on tinfoil hat, but that was before he was talking about Tartari. I think he was more interested in like cataclysmic events back then, which mm -hmm. does tie into the Tartaria stuff. So this dude, his name is uh, Alex. He's actually been on uh, an episode of my podcast with me. We've been friends since I met him. 
he's like, yo, you got to look into this guy, Max Egan. Have you ever heard of the, about the mud floods? And I'm like, what do you mean mud floods? Like what's, what's that about? So he starts breaking down the mud floods and I was like super skeptical. Didn't believe it. Didn't really think that that could happen. But what really intrigued me was this kid. He was a, a painter and not only was he a painter, he was a muralist and he liked painting architecture. You know, he would do these amazing like cityscape murals. So I'm talking to him about the architecture and he's basically giving me like, well, this and this add up to this. And like, you only see these sorts of buildings here. So he was kind of explaining like the sacred geometry of certain types of architecture and then kind of working it into his theory of like, well, these buildings might be Tartarian based on these following features. And I found that like super interesting because on our way to one of our deliveries, we're driving through Bridgeport, Connecticut. Now, if you guys don't know what Bridgeport, Connecticut is famous for, I don't blame you. No offense to anybody who's from Bridgeport, <laughs> but it's just, you know, that's how, that's how Connecticut, you know, sadly is. There's a lot of really, you know, urban places that are not well maintained in the sense of like, they're not very clean and people don't really have very good jobs or access to good food, that whole sort of thing. You mm -hmm. know? I'm not a sociologist. So I don't know the right terms, but we're the second highest capita state, you know, the wealthiest people in the United States, top two, it's Connecticut. Right. So it's crazy to, to see that sort of disparity sort almost. Of contrast. Yeah. 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 But that's totally tangential. We're driving through Bridgeport and we drive by the Barnum and the Barnum and Bailey. That's a circus. The, yeah, that's what it is. It's a Barnum and Bailey circus. So PT Barnum is the guy's name. Right? Yeah. And he has the Barnum museum and this building, it's so old. It looks like it's kind of like shifting, <laughs> like the bricks started to like shift off their axis and it just stands out as like a really strange building. It has one of those really interesting sort of, and I forget the name, but bell shaped sort of mosque type roofs, you know, that you see in Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. So I know like, what you mean. So it has one of those and it has all of these edifices carved onto the side that shows like the history of PT Barnum but what's so interesting about P.T. Barnum and the circus is, you know, it kind of fits into that whole World Fair thing, right? I mean, you, you've probably, if you looked into Tartar, you might have come across the whole World's Fair theory that these World's Fairs were some sort of aspect of the concealment or the rewriting of history. Like they gave us this new narrative and in the process possibly destroyed many sites that would have revealed inaccuracies in that new narrative that they were trying to roll out. So they're like, okay, here's the new narrative. Here's how history happened. If anything shows contrary to this, it has to go. And in this time period, there were great fires. There were, you know, earthquakes. There was the dust bowl, a lot of cataclysms in the late 19th century, early 20th century that could have destroyed some of these buildings right you got like the san, san francisco, francisco chicago all these major cities right. had major fires following the world's fairs yeah and and the way that the circus operates is like you know they kind of go from town to town and in my opinion 
the circus was sort of like a place for misfits in that sense. And like, you know, you, you look at some of these older movies or older fiction material, you know, the circus would have like a fortune teller. It would have like, you know, somebody who was kind of seems like they're a little mystical, you know, fortune teller is probably the most obvious, but there are many different circus arts that also have occult aspects to them. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that connection was strange and this level of detail that I'm discussing this on it's all come in hindsight, right? Cause that moment when he pointed that out to me and said, well, look at that building. I was like, Oh, okay. So I followed up. I go, me and him, we visited that building. We went out, you know, and, and stood there like not while we were working, you know, like some other day we were just hanging out and I and his, his fiance and we checked out the edifices. We're looking, we're, we're marveling at this and, Sure enough, I go and do some research and there's this whole history of Bridgeport that you might not even learn about unless you went looking for it. So that's not to say that Bridgeport is, you know, Tartaria or anything like that. But my point is, is this Tartaria subject became really fascinating because it's an opportunity to reevaluate the things that you're looking at every day with this same conspiratorial lens that we're applying to false flag events, to political narratives, to, you know, societal norms and all of the other things that we see in pop culture, obviously. Right. So it's, it's like our know, chance I'm, to relook at history, you know, to, to reevaluate right. our, our history. Where did we come from? What are these, you know, what's the narrative, you know, cause everyone kind of has, you know, you go through the public school system, everyone kind of has that understanding of, Oh, here's American history. Here's world history. And, you know, I didn't, I don't see this stuff. You know what I mean? Like the only time I really experienced history in a physical sense is when I went to Scotland and walked through the castles, you know what I mean? Like the ancient cat, like, you know, I was like, damn, that's, you know, I could, I could feel the history. I could see it, you know, yeah. but other than that, everything in America is pretty new. So you don't really experience well, relatively, that but relatively. I mean, even, yeah. Even in like, I went to Philadelphia once and walked. That's an old the, city, dude. The yeah. oldest street in America is what it's called, and it's just like brick. You can't drive anything down it because the houses are like so close together, from like front door to front door. You know, like it's like not. A, it's like maybe you can't a, si a six to ten foot walking path. Like, yeah, that's well, crazy. I'll tell you what. You know, you guys, you guys in Texas, you know, it probably does feel that way. But here in New England, you know, like we have towns that are considered ancient. Like they've been around longer than the country itself. Like yeah. the town I was born in is 50 years older than the United States. Yeah. So I kind of got that too when I lived in like in New Jersey. It definitely is. Uh, yeah. When I lived in Jersey, I saw mm, some mm, a tombstone, right. like there were cemeteries all over the place, like yeah. little small churches and there were tombstones older well, than the country, man. Even, and I was like, dang, that's, that's, you know, so on the East coast, definitely it's a little more, yeah. even uh, walking historical. through New York city itself. There's, there's some history there. Cemeteries yeah. and stuff that's older than, you know, the country itself, but continues. No. Yeah, absolutely. So I say all this to kind of pique people's curiosity to do just what I did, you know, I'm not an expert in archaeology. I'm not an expert in architecture. I'm not an expert in anthropology. I'm curious in these things. So that curiosity has driven me to look further, right? That Bridgeport kind of little microcosm 
that's one layer. Didn't really go too far into there. Somebody else who's from that city might be more curious than I to really examine that. But I've looked into the whole state, you know, and, and found out a lot of things. Now, here's why I still am not sold completely on Tartaria because, you know, when we look at the theories that are associated with Tartaria, you have, you know, a lot of people, I think, taking liberty with the formula that's been kind of laid out, like, you know, star forts look like this, you know, this building, you know, with windows this way means that it was underground at one point. I don't know if I can totally go with those theories Mm -hmm. because it seems like to me, I'm jumping in on the other side here on this zoom. So I'll switch my audio over in a second, but I just feel like there are, there are misunderstandings within the realms of how we put buildings together that might kind of clear the way for the more interesting cases for Tartaria, because in order for someone with a degree in architecture or a degree in anthropology or a degree in archeology span to take this stuff seriously, we're going to have to be serious about our armchair research because, Mm -hmm. you know, quite honestly, I, I see Tartaria on Instagram getting a lot of, popularity. Maybe that's just because that's the primary social media app I have the patience for. But when I look there, it's like a lot of pattern seeking. And that's not coming from someone who has like an Ivy League education and and dismisses conspiracies. Because that's what they'll say when they dismiss conspiracies. They'll say, oh, these people are just seeking a pattern. Patterns are helpful. You know, patterns help us understand but they're not the everything world around us. Right. But it's not everything. You have to look beyond the pattern. The pattern indicates something, but not necessarily proof. And then while you're pulling up the other audio, I just want to say for in case we didn't explain it to the to the audience, you know, Tartaria, the, the whole theory behind what Tartaria is, is a is a a lost history and not that far away, you know, last 200 to 400 years, it disappeared or it was changed or it was and uh, allegedly. And you read some of the, look at some of the maps and read some of the histories, like in Russia, the, I think that it first came out in like a leaked CIA document about the Soviet Russia era that like they erased this Tartarian history. So like to make the communists look better. And so it's like a recent erasing of history and they allegedly they were very advanced people, high architecture, unique architecture. There we go. <laughs> Little so echo there. Say like not long before like modern day American history. Yeah, like deal. anywhere from like 200 to 400 years. That's kind of in my armchair research, as you say, that's kind of yeah. where I have found that the erasure of the tar- they could go back thousands of years i don't know but that's when the erasure of this people or this way of life this society wipe out starts to fade away so just to as he's pulling this up that kind of gives a little bit of background as to what we're talking about here because you hear tartaria you're like is this a spaceship is this what is it you know what i mean so mark did you say star fort earlier yeah star forts dude what's a star fort can you guys hear me? Yeah, you sound. Oh, dude, you sound oh, way better now. Oh, yeah. yeah, that is clean. Yeah, I do. Crisp. Yeah, you sound great. 
All right, cool. I just want to um, make sure because I have you guys on both ends here. Like I said, I want. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a good time. <laughs> I, and I was the captain of my wrestling team, so I can take you guys on. Be careful. But either way, I'm, just, I have you I'm not going to chub right now, man. Like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you on both ends because I wanted to show you guys some maps. We'll get into that in a second. So. Star forts. What do you guys? What comes to mind when you hear that? Uh, so I've seen pictures of star forts, and I don't. I know they are old, mil allegedly military bases, essentially that okay. are shaped like a in a star pattern to for defense purposes. But th they're along like the Earth's ley lines, which are like energy points. So that's that's basically all I know. Okay, so have y'all ever watched uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine? No, it's next on my Star Trek list. I'm on Next Generation so right now. So their facility is like uh, with a ring around it. It's like a diamond. It's got like a middle ring thing. That's what I think of when I think of Oh, like Star actually in space? Yeah. Mm. Like Maybe. An it's actual, possible. Like, but in space, Star I think Star Force are a whole other... Well, yeah, I have no, show. I have no idea what they are, but that's what comes to mind when I think of a Star Fort. Interesting, interesting. Right, and it could be predictive programming, dude. And we all love Star Trek, all us nerds out here. So, yeah, I get it, I get it. So, what people typically call a Star Fort is also known in military history as a bastion fort, and it's designed to be a place where you can easily retreat and have your allies cover fire from whoever might be chasing you, right? It's got all these angles. You have people on each sort of flank of the, the fort on each of the points, and then you have a sort of tower structure in the middle for some sort of sentry, somebody with, you know, a, a scope of some sort. I don't know if they had that. <laughs> I'm sure they did, considering a lot of the theories that people put together with like the Tesla tech, right? You have this Tesla technology being kind of warped into the Tartaria theory, which I don't doubt, you know, I mean, with, with the types of, of megalithic structures that there are here on the United, in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and across the world. I mean, there's megalithic structures, I think on all seven continents, I could be wrong. But you have to take that into account. Like, how did they build these structures? Now, you said you went to a castle. There are ways to build, you know, castles that you might be surprised to, like, find out, well, Native Americans here in the United States were building s structures out of stone the same way they would have built a castle or a bastion fort in Europe. Really? Right? Interesting. Okay. So, you know, we have evidence for stone structures all over New England. We have evidence for it, I think, going into the Midwest. And I'm sure there's evidence on the West Coast. That's not where I've been looking because I'm looking in my own backyard. But New England is known for sort of these stone walls that go on people's properties you know i'm sure you saw it in new jersey like people have these nice little stone walls instead yep. of a fence in the front yard and you know the story is these are colonial walls and they're built by farmers back in the day to 
carve up territory and say, well, this is my land, that's your land. And some of the explanations go far to say like, oh, well, they had to use slaves and stuff because you look at some of these stone walls or stone rows or piles of stone, they go for miles and miles and miles, Mm -hmm. including stones that are megalithic in the sense that you would need, you know, a very large machine in modern times to move a boulder of that size. So when we're talking about like megalithic structures, they're all over the North American continent. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily know if that means that Tartaria is involved, but in a moment with these maps, I'll show you why possibly the connection has been made. And, you know, my suspicion is that what we're told about, the indigenous Americans here in North America and specifically the United States has, you know, obviously been whitewashed. We've been given a type of history that the native Americans did this, they were like this. And this is like, you know, become a cultural fantasy of teepees and horse riders and beaded hair and all this stuff that, kind of resembles the truth, but really inaccurately portrays who the Native American people are, if you can even call them a common people, because there are so many different groups and cultures within Native American culture. So for my area, we're talking about the Iroquois Nation, right? Mm -hmm. So the Iroquois Nation has a lot of information about stones and stone structures and what they're used for. But you're not going to find that probably if you go to your local historical society around here, because a lot of those stones are unexplained, dismissed, or just not accounted for. There's stone chambers that have celestial alignments that people have said, well, these might just be root cellars or pig pens built by the colonialists. So like, You know, when you're when you're considering that people just by nature in this time period have a habit of using prejudice or prejudice type thinking to influence their opinions or their beliefs about a whole group of people, you know, I mean, and that's not coming from like a social justice warrior type person. I'm just stating the facts, you know, like this is this is what's happened to the indigenous peoples. Their culture has been pretty much destroyed and uh, i think done purposefully i mean not even just like where in the in the, you know history where they were subjugated and and murdered and enslaved and destroyed but even their history i think that was partially part of that was just to get rid of their history because they knew so much about this land and about this you know where we are right now like so we're in a we basically we live where we live is a cherokee stronghold i mean they roamed this yeah. area, you know, like a 900 mile radius around right where, you know, this town and they were here for hundreds of years and just the their ability to move and, you know, attack and retreat. I mean, they were just so advanced and they covered so much territory for a supposedly, you know, Small dumb, nation. savage people, but there were hundreds of thousands of Cherokee in this area and it's quite interesting to see some of that history that I didn't even know about, you know what I mean? Until I moved here and kind of figured it out. But, but yeah, I think, I think their history across the board, across all the tribes 
has been whitewashed, as you said. It's been, you know, and I think the World's Fair has had to do with that. The textbooks we read in school have something to do with that. So continue, please. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, I don't know where that term whitewash comes from, but I do want to kind of take the racial connotation out of it. Not that you put that there. Maybe I did, but because it's not a matter of race, you know, and, and the indigenous people who came here, they knew that they weren't racist. They had they had an opinion that came from their creator and their wisdom and not all tribes were the same, you know, some Mohawk indigenous people would be, you know, less interested in sharing this kind of information and more interested in maybe clubbing you over the head, (laughs) you know, but that's not to say that they weren't intelligent, you know, And, and, and there were other indigenous tribes who were more benevolent and more open to accepting the new visitors to this land and, and just kind of maybe naively because here in Connecticut, there's only really two or three reservations. Maybe I'm wrong there, but the, the, the ones on the, on the West side of the Connecticut river, they've all kind of retreated North into other groups. And, and, you know, the Iroquois nation is kind of centered now up in Canada and all of those people are, are essentially refugees. They used to live in this land, but you know, other than the Scaticoke nation reservation, there really aren't any indigenous people here anymore, but, that being said, the remnants of their culture is still here. You know, stone <laughs> is very valuable, especially in those times. So a lot of these stone outcrops and stone ledges that were maybe sacred potentially have been destroyed. You know, places that would have had carvings like the Dighton Rock in Massachusetts that has carvings on it that they don't know what that it means you know scientists archaeologists they're kind of like oh well this is like paleolithic scribblings and you can make out figures but then you see like characters that look almost like runic right so you're like hmm interesting and then you find out that algonquin has similarities to gaelic the irish right so now you're kind of seeing this larger picture formed where the indigenous americans here were not just isolated running around in the woods you know doing things just to survive they were you know farming they were using these stone alignments to understand the procession of the equinox to understand where the sun was rising you know you can get a lot of valuable information from just those two things you know especially if you're farming so that being said I think when we look into Tartaria, we should be careful not to whitewash it in the sense and think like, oh, well, you know, these great, amazing buildings were only built by white people. So that means there was a civilization of, you know, kind of white people here. Well, maybe that's true. But, you know, other than some Hebrew stuff here and there, Phoenician things here and there, seems to me like the indigenous people in America are more of, uh, you know, African or Asian descent. You know, when mm-hmm. you look at like the genealogy of where the indigenous Americans come from, they say that it's, it's possible that they came over the Alaskan land bridge. They say it's possible that they come from, you know, a time when the, 
Pangea and, you know, everything was all connected there was less water. So there's a lot of theories on where the people that are here came from, but I think the, the evidence shows that there were connections between the indigenous people here in America and the rest of the world before Columbus. Right. 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 So, you know, this book that I'm about to show you guys, it has two maps. It centers around two maps. One's called the, the Tartar relation and the other one's called the Vinland map. And the Tartar relation has maps in it. It's more properly a book, but either way, these books were, were written and these maps were drawn in the period of the 1300s to the 1500s. So this is a time when people were traveling around in boats and whatnot. And I had a guy on my podcast who lives in the Philippines. His name's Matt Raymer. And he told me, oh yeah, there's uh, this tribe in the Northern Philippines that has burial structures and houses that are kind of built the same way and you only see this here and in ireland it's built the same way as the celtic sort of druids would have built their chambers hill with this sort of like rounded roof yeah i've seen those yeah yeah right so there's that strange connection and then you know in this map and here we'll show you guys now that i've you know teased it so much so we have a bunch of really cool maps here and they might not, you know, be obvious what they are at first because there, there is, uh, you know, they're not written with English text, right? But I'm gonna flip to this one here, so you can see, you know, the the northern area of the the world. If we're gonna go ahead and believe in the globe over there. It's it's very possible to see that in the warmer period of the year, people could have traveled from here to there, from here to there, and access parts of the world in a shorter amount of time than if they went this way, right? So this is what we're talking about here with the Tartaria stuff. You have a culture that was centered in the North Pole they used the North Pole. They traveled the North Pole. And I think that, you know, when they arrived in certain places that they liked and wanted to come back to, they would build trading posts and they would build structures out of stone that resembled what we would see in Europe, right? Right. So let me go back to a different map. But while I'm saying that, this map is my favorite one. So, you know, Explain what we're looking at here. Yeah, just so people can, those who are just listening. So it, it's a map if you're looking at the Earth from, from you know, a flat map, but from the North Pole. So it's a circular map radiating out from the North Pole. And is what we, where can you define where the water is? I'm guessing it's, yeah. So where what, what land masses do we see here? Like where is, you know, North America? Where would Europe be if you are able to point? You said they're not in English, so you might not be able to tell. But if no, you had I can show you. So, okay, sure. Yeah. So we have, you know, conceivably the center of the North Pole right there. And then what we have here is Europe. Okay, right? like Scandinavia. Okay. 
So then, you know, if you can then imagine that this would probably be the Pacific Ocean, this would be, you know, maybe the Atlantic Ocean, right? And okay. then more of the Atlantic Ocean here, or the Arctic Ocean. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, it just begs the question like, okay, if they had these maps and they knew that all this land was here, why weren't they exploring it? And the answer is they were exploring it, you know? And I think the maps kind of give you a better idea of like what was possible in those times. And then it becomes less of a, like a murky subject of like how the indigenous cultures would have built structures that resemble North American or I'm sorry, European sort of architecture, right? Because there's a cross pollination of cultures that's going on and it's pretty, you know, it, it, it's, it's just kind of racist to assume that the indigenous Americans couldn't have kind of pulled it off just because we don't have evidence for that kind of thing directly. So, you know, I'm not a Tartaria expert. I don't know what, you know, how it fits into the mud flood and whatnot. But I just spoke to Corey Daniels. He's over in Phoenix and he was describing how Phoenix has all of these mounds similar to what we see in Cahokia in Illinois that were bulldozed or destroyed, leveled to make farmland in Phoenix. So we have evidence for these ancient civilizations that had megalithic structures or very large structures at least. And I think it fits into this kind of narrative that's being angled through the world's fair, right? The world's fair comes along and they're like, Hey, this is the history of Europe. This is the history of colonial America. This is the history of the noble savage, you know? <laughs> right. And that was always just, a good, <laughs> a good term for him, right? <laughs> the noble right. savage. Jesus. Right. So they just give you like these kind of archetypes of what was happening without the full picture. And, you know, like I kind of alluded to there earlier, the Algonquin language and the Gaelic language are very similar. We have those connections between uh, Ireland and as far away as the Philippines, you know, so. And that's something I had never heard before as far as the connection between with the Philippines. That's something I'd never heard before as far as Tartaria yeah. goes. And so I, I guess I want to ask because in the little research I've done in Tartaria, you see not necessarily like ancient structures, but almost like Victorian era buildings in places in North America and Europe that seem extremely complicated and things that they say, oh, we couldn't build that today. It's too, it's too expensive or we don't know how to build it anymore. And we can get back to, to the maps, but that's just something that I wanted to ask you about is does, do those buildings and that architecture have anything to do with Tartaria or is that kind of covering up the, the true ancient nature of it? Well, and this is where I think, you know, it's really, it, it's it's based on a couple things. So there are structures that can sink into the ground over time, right? Because the soil is not, let's say, dense enough 
to completely hold. And you kind of see this in places like Louisiana, mm-hmm. where the, the ground is very wet. The water table is very, you know, everything's pretty much at sea level over there. But, you know, that being said, if we're going to just maybe count maybe some percentage of what people are calling Tartarian buildings as like just a sunken building, a building that's old enough has been there long enough to where the, the level around it has raised up to some degree. That's not necessarily evidence that that building is Tartarian. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll take that and be like, okay, I'm going to be the stick in the mud on that point. But there are definitely types of architecture that use techniques that baffle you when you look at them, you know, you're like, okay, that's very intricate. That's very detailed. That's, you know, stone, maybe it's very heavy, you know? So I think we have to look at these things from a technical point of view and really be able to piece apart how these types of buildings are made before we can just look at one and say like, Oh yeah, that's Tartarian. I think when it really becomes interesting is when the buildings are built in conjunction with rivers and things that are a part of the land and inherently powerful, right? Because advanced civilizations, they build on rivers they build near water you know so that they can have trade so that they can have power right because even before electricity we were using river power to spin mills you know you Mm -hmm. can use the mills to do a number of things run a saw you can run you know uh, a millstone and, and crush grain and all sorts of things can be accomplished with that hydro power so when we're gonna look at like okay really ancient technology that seems like it was invented recently, like something like water or electricity, you know, we have evidence for the Baghdad battery. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Right. So there are these outliers and another one that comes to mind is the, the anti-Kythera device, which is a type of like, it almost looks like the inside of a clock, like a a structure of gears that people navigating the sea would use to figure out where the sun and the moon and the stars were accurately, and then thus be able to navigate more accurately to use that word twice. So there are these outliers of technology. And I suspect that in the 1800s, the 1700s, there's a lot of, discovering of these things here in the United States, things like giant skeletons maybe were the most popular. And no one ever talks about that. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Yeah. These, these things that they just don't fit into the narrative, whether it's technology, whether it's a giant skeleton, you know, these, these outliers, I think they add up to, to create a bigger picture than what we're given in academia. So that, you know, really makes people say like, oh, it's gotta be all under one umbrella, you know, like they're all the same. It's Tartaria, everything's Tartaria. The Tartarians were giants, you know, like because we find the skeleton, you know? So I I think- When it could all just be not necessarily all connected under, like you said, one umbrella, but maybe a lot of different things were going on. You know, a lot of different, you know, timeline, not necessarily like timelines, but certain cultures were on different paths or maybe we had different 
kinds of people here. Like you said, like giants. I mean, maybe the giants didn't build giant, you know, intricate buildings, but maybe they built interesting stone structures because that's what they could work with. You know, I mean, that's something that I think the Smithsonian in the early 1900s, they threw away all the giant bones. I mean, they collected them all as like, oh, research, you know, we need to find out what this is. And they just threw them all away, threw it under the bus. Threw away. Yeah. I mean, and so that's something that's interesting that you say, like, it, it doesn't have to all be under, you know, the traditional historical narrative or under this Tartarian narrative. And, and I've even heard people say in our community, you know, rightly so that this Tartaria thing, it's, you know, it's become so popular that it, it could be something not necessarily benevolent in as far as like analyzing our history. Maybe we're bringing something up that shouldn't come up. Uh, you know, have <laughs> well, you have you seen I, that I going around? Think, I don't know. I I think you know the Spider Man adage. You know, with great uh, power or great knowledge comes great responsibility. You know that <laughs> that's always true. So I, I wouldn't say you know knowledge is is bad or shouldn't be pursued. But I think people need to have discernment and they need to be objective. And they also need to use their intuition and call upon that other side of things that we often uh, call like maybe synchromistic thinking where you, you see sort of a pattern emerge and it connects to things that are happening in your life as well. That kind of makes you or gives you the appearance or the thought that, Oh, this is happening for a reason, right? There's purpose. So I think there's maybe, you know, the danger that that could be manufactured somehow. And like, and also, you know, with, everything that I've said so far, I've tried very hard to root it in things that I've learned from what we would probably call traditional sources. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I will say you've been very careful. Uh, and I think rightly so to not put your own opinion into this research you've done, the Tartarian aspect. You've actually brought up a lot of things that I've not heard before in regards to Tartaria, as far as like, you know, the indigenous uh, cultures of America, the stone mounds, I, I didn't think that had anything to do in this quote unquote umbrella of Tartaria. But I think Tartaria itself brings up a bigger question, almost obviously is like, what is our history? Or what was before this modern time, you know, you look at even just technology from the, let's say the 1500s when you know Columbus got here and all this stuff to to now in the in the last hundred years it's jumped so much. So did we find something? I mean, I saw something today about having robots in the 1800s, like that were fighting bears and shit, like humanoid robots, like punching out bears. And I was like, what the fuck? I mean, I need to look into that a little more. I can't. It could just be yeah, a guy in a costume robots that are literally doing parkour. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just saying, like, it, it brings up this whole topic brings up a bigger question of our history. What's the narrative? And and like we said at the beginning, we we have the ability to question political narratives, technological narratives, whatever the agenda is that is being pushed, you know, it's pop culture. We can question that. And this has given us a really ability to question our history from a deeper perspective, not just like the last hundred years with like World War Two, World War One, all that stuff, but what well, what's if, really if going I could on? Go a little further, yeah, on, please, uh, please your, do your initial question there, because I do, I do think like the the idea that oh, is this stuff a psyop? Like that's the best question you can 
always ask in this day and age. It's I always mean, a psyop. Well, no, seriously, I think that's the number one question as conspiracy realists. We need to be able to say, like, all right, am, am I going along with something that's been manufactured to lead me down a dead end? Because information is used as a weapon and you know people i forget the exact guy but someone in the cia or someone influential in those realms said something along the lines of we know our job will be complete when people can't tell the truth from fiction and no one will know what reality really yes, is i've so, seen that was the head of the cia at one point was like we right. know our our disinformation campaign will be complete when no one knows what the fuck is going on essentially so when we consider that the Tartaria theory comes part and parcel from a man named Anatoly Fomenko, who was a professor in Russia, I think during the Soviet Union, you know, it's like, OK, so this guy, how do we know he didn't have a, an agenda? The, you know, United Socialist Soviet Republic, you know, they're they're totally KGB just as much as the CIA is CIA, you know, like we yeah. got we got bad hombres on all angles <laughs> when it comes to the intelligence department. Exactly, so, dude. So I don't, I don't jump like head first into this topic, but I do find it interesting. And I do think that like, when you consider how Russia kind of got that communist firework rocket up its ass first compared to like China and the other countries, like they took all of that first and, you know, Russia was a, a place where there were kings and queens, just like the other royal families mm -hmm. had. You know, you have the king and queen of Germany who went and kind of took over the king and queen of England. And then, you know, you find out that that like whole house of royals, they're actually German and they're Bohemian and that connects to the Rosicrucians. But that's a whole nother tangent that we'll connect back to in, in maybe a few moments here, because what we're really talking about is you know, muddying the waters, like what I brought up with the indigenous cultures and how they have megalithic structures, they have solar alignments, they have celestial alignments, they have clearly knowledge of mathematics, sacred geometry, and the things that would qualify them as an advanced culture. So we can't rule them out and say like, oh yeah, the Tartarians were completely from Russia, even though all of these maps here, they say that Tartaria was this place in the northeast half of Asia. Now, if you're going to go ahead and just kind of connect what I said before about sea voyage and travel, I mean, it's not that hard to imagine people could have sailed along that northern shore there and made their way into Alaska and down into California and even to San Francisco, where this amazing Tartarian architecture was allegedly before the great earthquake, right? So that's where the connection becomes interesting. But then again, you know, there are hundreds of different groups and thousands of different groups of, of indigenous cultures along all of North, Central and South America, you know, and they all have different characteristics, just like every other culture it, in the world. And so something you just, umbrella. Some, yeah, something you just brought up too about the maps of Tartaria being located in, the eastern part of Russia, northeast part of Asia, something that I've heard, I don't know who I heard this from, it was very recent, but that the Mongolians, like, you know, Genghis Khan, 
that that could have been part of you heard that from me because i heard it from a different podcast. oh that's right yeah you brought this up do you want to explain that what uh, you heard it well the podcast i heard it from is uh questionable questionable at best but they mentioned how just just that that what what was his name the, Mon- the genghis Mongolians khan and genghis khan could have been a part of Tartaria. And then they wrapped a whole bunch of other stuff in there that I don't think is worth mentioning. Right, but, but you know, that like, just that's, that that's, part of it is interesting because even just the confirmed history or the official history of Genghis Khan, I listened to all of hardcore yeah, history. The area that all of that I mean, took the place, dude like was... The Great Wall of China specifically was mentioned... To keep the Mongols out, yeah. Keep, and why was it so big? Because the Mongols were... And then you, you know. I think you mentioned it was to keep the bon- the Mongols in, like to keep Tartaria. That's the border of Tartaria in a, in yeah. a way. So that's just interesting that you you mentioned that, like the actual maps, because I, I was like, oh, I heard somewhere that they're Mongolian. And dude, Genghis Khan was a fucking, I mean, the, cult, the whole Khan Monster. lineage was like, but he was very religiously tolerant, though. He he tolerated all religions. But oh, he would sure. kill, like, half of you before he, like, tolerated you. So, anyway. But keep going, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had to bring that up. <laughs> no, I don't know. Right. Any thoughts on the Mongolian-Tartarian connection? Well, I, I jumped to the book here, and I, I hope you guys didn't think I was disinterested in what you're saying. Because no, I'm, no. I'm looking up the connection, really. I mean, so let's give some background. The synchromysticism that I described has led me to find many different books, okay? And uh, thank God you can read, dude, because we can't. I appreciate well, you. He someone's gotta do it, man. <laughs> and uh and it's not easy. I'm not an, a genius or anything, but I do have patience for myself. And I think people who like to read, you know, you gotta give yourself a break sometimes. So, you know. Not everybody, you know, like you, you can't compare yourself to other people when it comes to this. I'm kind just of a bad, I'm oh, just sure. a bad reader, dude. I'm a slow, oh, slow reader. So you're, you're just a, you're just a, a new reader. That's all. So, Good so Good it's point. led me to this strange little book barn with all these old, old books, you know, like old books that are kind of more local history and all that kind of stuff. But Yale universe is local to me. So naturally there's a lot of like really highbrow, high intellectual stuff that gets into the used bookstores in the area. And I find those and I particularly like them because I have a, a thorn in my side. I don't like Yale. They're, you know, fucking assholes with the mask mandate down there in new haven and dude they do so many medical studies there it's crazy dude i know a lot of great people who've graduated from there but at the same time you know skull and bones finds its residence there so there there's a lot of weird stuff anyways side note they have a a a book in their beinecke you know special library it looks like a sci-fi cube. If you looked at it, the building, go ahead and look that up if you have a chance. But what's it called? A, it's like the Beinecke Library, B-E-I-N-I-C-K-E. And they, they have this book called the Tartaria Codex. Right. Oh, nice. And Score. Andreas, right. So Andreas Zertis was like, oh, yeah, bro, you can just go there and you can read it if you want, you know, like and. That's not true for me because I look like, you know, a big, tall hippie and they don't like my kind at Yale. So I can't just walk into the library and and, and you know, get into some books because eh, I don't Andreas know. Andreas has a little more college vibe to right. him so he can just exactly. walk in. Yeah. 
Thank you for saying that for me. He's a little more <laughs> in that crowd. So he was able to do it. I haven't been able to, but I did find this awesome book called The Vinland Map and the Tartar Relation. And what that book is really about and what they're talking about is this comparison between a Vinland map, meaning of Vinland, which was what oh. the Norse Vikings called Labrador and Newfoundland in Canada, right? The St. John, St. I think it's uh, Hudson Bay. And the St. John River. That's like the, the, the eastern part of, northeastern part of Canada, right? Right. Okay. So They're not they dogs. Not dogs. <laughs> so they have a map of this whole area, and, and they make a connection between this map, the Vinland map, and some of these Tartar maps that guys like Carpini, who is an explorer, drew up when he was exploring where the Mongols lived, because at that time, the uh, let's call them the Jesuits or the Roman Catholic, right? They were very worried about what the Mongolians were doing in Eastern Europe, because like you guys kind of said, the Mongolians would come through and they weren't like religiously prejudiced, but they were just straight up like, down to rape, pillage, and kill. And maybe that's just how we remember them because like the word Tartar, Mongol, mongrel, Mongol has become like sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, a derogatory term. So right. whenever you have a, a nation's enemy, we saw this after 9-11, there's like a, a hatred that grows for the enemy and you start to like become prejudiced against them, right? The whole 9-11 PSYOP, everybody was worried about terrorists and anybody who kind of resembled a Muslim person was hit with this prejudice apparently. Right. I yeah. never saw it, but I'm sure people experienced it. Oh, and we got that down here in Texas, dude. Don't worry. It, we, I was, you know, a young kid and I remember experiencing that. Like instead yeah. of calling your friends, no, a, I remember instead of calling your friends a fag, you'd call them a terrorist. Like you dumb terrorist. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just, it was what no. you watched on TV, you know? That's exactly what my friends called me, a, a fag and a terrorist. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, so, so I was yeah, like, they, oh, we just got real heavy real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, dude. That's great. Because if your skin was a little darker, I could see it. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I'm just, just kidding, kidding, dude. Keep going. That's great. But, oh, my God. But yeah, no, I mean, people people talk like that, you know, around here too. Not, But I, I'm saying I never witnessed like explicit racism where someone like I, I there's friends of mine who are Pakistani they live around Dude, here so I have an uncle not- who's was born in Iran I mean he is a Persian mm-hmm. man and so I I was you know because I knew him and he was my uncle at the time you know still is my uncle and he was at the time I I never really got I never really looked at, at, at things that way you know what I mean just because I was like oh it's my family you know what I mean like he would never you know fly a plane into the Twin Towers like so we're good, you know, and that's just that just comes people with experience. People were just people because that's what you grew up around. Exactly, exactly. But there keep was going. Never like an introduction of like, yeah, look at somebody this. looks different. Than this you. is a terrorist. Yeah, and this yeah. is well, yeah. And, and my point is to say that these kind of psyops have existed for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You know, racism. I think you know it comes from this sort of ancient times when the Egyptian culture. And people with melanated skin were, you know, at the top, they were the divine rulers. And then somewhere along the way, 
you know, European people got in charge and they kind of dominated. And I think that created a lot of different occult things with the Moors and, you know, all these weird subjects you can get into. So I want to mention a couple of things because we, I tried to stay on track to one thing. I'm sorry. Uh, I kind of, I kind of got you off topic. No, you didn't. I love this. So, so the Mongols are totally connected to the whole Tartarian thing. And I, I think the, their history has been, you know, definitely shrouded because of that fact that they were the enemy and the enemy doesn't get remembered for the truth. They get remembered for the propaganda associated with them. So, you know, things that like, hold on a second, Tara, could you bring the cat upstairs? Get out of here, cinnamon (laughs) down here. Dude, I've thought about having my cats, like letting them come in, but they would unplug something. One time I had the cats in, they knocked the computer off the table Everything got unplugged. It was just fucked. As much as I love my cats, they just cause trouble. Well, speaking of basements, we're superstitious around here. It's not good to let your cat in the basement for some reason. Really? Uh, I never heard that. Interesting. Well, yeah, you know, it's not really like healthy for them. I don't know why, but either way. So my cat listens to me and went upstairs. That's good. (laughs) So, so they get remembered for the propaganda and you know, the same is true for, the Moors, who in ancient times, right, there was a man named Abu Bakar, I believe, or Abu Abikar. And he was a king. I think he was a king of Ghana, or that was there where Ghana is today. And he, there's this legend that one day he was like, all right, we're going to, you know, get a bunch of uh, ships together. We're going to take off. I'm going to pee, but keep going. Keep rocking. (laughs) No worries. So, hi, Puds. Glad you're here. (laughs) So, for the listeners who are still uh, on this same train of thought, Abu Bakar was like, you know what? We're going to set out and we're going to go west. And if you're in Africa, to go west, you're going across the Atlantic Ocean, right? And that's actually how these people... Columbus allegedly discovered the Caribbean was through this sort of, what do they call it? Like a trade wind or a current, a great ocean current that takes you from like the sort of Western part of Africa down along the Eastern, Southeastern part of South America up into the Caribbean. Right. Okay. So this African King allegedly got like 40 ships together and all of his gold and all this stuff and sailed across the Atlantic and never came back. And I think the story goes that a scout or somebody who went along said, Oh, you know, he came back. Right. And he's, he comes back and he's like, well, we, we hit a storm and nobody made it. I'm the only one who survived. And then the other King, the son was like, okay. And he got like twice as many ships and he sailed out and went to South America, right? Because I mean, where else would you end up if you go West from Africa? And in those times, they didn't know about the Americas allegedly, right? But we have this story of an African king who goes out, sets West, sails across the ocean and never comes back. Well, what's strange is that in South America, there are petroglyphs or carvings on the rocks that show this kind of story 
of a king going across a great ocean and stepping on the shores of another continent or another land where his kingdom was. And you see footprints showing that he was there before. Like this is not the first time he was there. He's following footprints, but the footprints are in front of him. They're not, you know, behind him. So the thought is that, you know, he had made this trip twice and the story was kind of concealed and they said, Oh no, they just shipwrecked. And, you know, to maybe throw people off who might've tried to follow them. But, this holds true because there's whole trade routes throughout this ancient world. There were great gold traders and I'm forgetting their names, but people can go look up Ross Ben's research. Cause a lot of this information that I just got into comes from Ross Ben's work. And uh, he's a really smart guy. And you mentioned Philadelphia. I met him in Philadelphia and gave us a little tour. Oh, wow. because you're right. I mean, Philadelphia is super strange in a lot of ways. So, And we'll get into that too. (laughs) So, you know, Ross talks about this in his book and I'm sure he's researched it from other places. So there's evidence there that there were pre-Columbian trips to the United States and North America, South America. Well, even when you say pre-Columbian, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. But even I think it's like in the official narrative, it's confirmed that like the Vikings were here in the like 1800s and things like that. Is that what y'all were talking about? Did I step in on that? No, no, no. So, well, they wouldn't have been here in the 1800s, but I'm at 800s. I'm sorry. 800s. Right. right. So yeah, that the Vinland map that I was talking about, and maybe I can show you guys while I still have this to hear what the Vinland map looks like, but you know, the, here we go. So there's plenty of evidence between South American, Central American, North American, and Africa connection in that time, which is interesting because when Philadelphia was settled and the United States, the colonies were getting going, there were people here that sort of resembled Moors, right? African melanated people. So before we get into that a little further, because I'm not really an expert in that topic anyways, here's the Vinland map. And you could see right here that this is sort of like what we would call Northeastern Canada today. Okay. There's, there's Greenland. Oh, it looks so small, dude. On the modern maps, Greenland's giant. Right. And this is, you know, not perfect scale, but it's how they would have seen it from a boat. And maybe like that was just like the part of Greenland that they. So this is like the Europe, Europe, like the Europe is what we're looking at, right? I can see like Great Britain and, you know, Spain and Africa. Okay. Okay. It's, it's, it's similar enough that you can see, you can tell, but it's interesting. How old is this map? So the Vinland map, let's see. I think there's a date on here somewhere. I want to be as accurate as possible i don't know the date off the top of my head but i would imagine that it's probably around that time the 800s when the vikings were traveling around and doing that sort of thing okay and that's why they're making that connection to the carpini voyage down there across northeastern asia to where the Cathay and the mongols and the tartar civilizations were 
And yeah, like we said before, that land bridge could have been the connection to North America. I don't know, not an expert in it, but I think, you know, just getting into it and researching it, you can have a better idea of what's going on in history. Here's another story that's kind of like connected, right? So in the 1520s, there was a guy named Antonio Pigafetta who was the chronicler for Ferdinand Magellan's expedition, right? So the European, the Spanish, they were coming down to South America and they made it around the southern tip of South America to the western side. And they saw these uh, one day without anyone expecting it, we saw a giant who was on the shore quite naked and who danced, leaped and sang. And while he sang, he threw sand and dust on his head. Our captain Magellan sent one of his men toward him, charging him to leap and sing like the other in order to reassure him and show him friendship, which he did. Immediately, the man of the ship dancing led this giant to a small island where the captain awaited him. And when he was before us, he began to marvel and to be afraid. And he raised one finger upward, believing that we came from heaven. And he was so tall that the tallest of us only came up to his waist. Withal, he was well proportioned. The captain named the people of this sort the Patagonia. Or the Patagonian Giants. Holy shit, dude. I've never heard that before. And that's from Magellan's trip. Right. So, you know, (laughs) you have all these things that just kind of stand out in the actual historical record that, you know, if you just weigh them all together and measure them all together, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this traditional narrative that we're told in school is bullshit. (laughs) Straight up. You know, it's just, it's, it's. It's just a clean narrative to get you to not look into history. Cause when you do look into history, you find out what's really going on and the modern ignorance spell that they're playing on all of us works a little less. Well, damn dude, that you just blew me away with that giant story, dude. That's I'm going to look into that now. Cause that, and that sounds it's, they're so nonchalant about it too. Oh, we just were we're sailing along, and we see this giant guy dancing, and we said hi to him, and then he we got, danced back. A and little. we dan- it's like a dance off with giants, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you know, I can swing my dick, you know, just as much as you can, Mister Giant Man. Uh, doubt it, I, dude. How big was the giant dick, though? That's Probably the question. Like my arm, <laughs> elephant trunk. That's interesting, dude. I mean, there's so much here that it, it's you know we got architecture, we got indigenous tribes, whether it's from you know the end tip southern end of the tip of south africa uh, south america to all the way up to canada and it's like it, there's so much ground to cover and so much time to cover that it's like uh it dude I, I started this you know going into this podcast like cool maybe i'll get some answers you know no, and i have I've, so many more questions i have way more questions than when we started man but i think that's that's a, <laughs> that's how you know it was a good show you know yeah. what i mean like what do i what do i you know and Mark, if you have, we can keep going as long as you want. I didn't know how long you had, so I was just saying. You no, know. I, I I don't want to keep you guys, but I do. I do have no, one keep go- more. Dude, like, let's go. Let's rock it, dude. One more story of of a giant that that was really interesting. So, this one I think comes from a different voyage, or maybe it comes from. Let's see, might come from Magellan's voyage, but we'll just read the story, and you guys can 
Tell me what you think. So when we came within a little distance from the shore, we saw as near as I can guess about 500 people, some on foot, but the greater part on horseback. One of them who afterwards appeared to be a chief came towards me. He was of a gigantic stature and seemed to realize the tales of monsters in a human shape. If I may judge of his height by the proportions of his stature to my own, it could not be much less than seven feet. Mr. Cumming, one of Byron's officers, so this must be like Lord Byron or some Captain Byron's journey, came up with the tobacco as a gift, and I could not but smile at his astonishment, which I saw expressed in his countenance upon perceiving himself. Those six feet two inches high become pygmy amongst giants, for these people may indeed more properly be called giants than tall men, the shortest of whom were at least four inches taller. So they're saying, you know, the shortest of these people were like six, six. And, and that's probably the women. And historically back then you hear that people are short, you know, like, you know, they always say Napoleon wasn't actually short. You know, he was average height for the time, which was like five, three or something like that. So it's interesting. interesting. Well, and I, I forgot to mention with the Magellan thing. That's what I was looking for was they seized two of those giants and tried to bring them back to to they kidnapped them and tried to bring them back to Spain, but the giants got sick along the uh, voyage at sea and uh, and perished, and they just kind of probably threw them overboard or something. Who knows? Or maybe they they brought the skeletons back because when you look into this stuff, man, I mean, I remember the first kind of heavy lesson that I ever received in my synchromystic journey was from somebody who I met. In New Haven, he was a homeless guy. I probably told you this story the first time we were on the show because I, I always talk about it, but he was homeless at the time. He just got out of jail. He felt like he needed to right his wrongs. He was an indigenous man from Arizona. So he came all the way from Arizona to pray for Geronimo, whose skull and bones had been stolen by Prescott Bush and brought to Skull and Bones tomb in New Haven that we talked about before. And one of the things he told me was, hey, there's uh, there's bodies buried underneath this park that we're on right now. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, this land right here was an ancient burial ground and, and that church and that church was built here. And when they did that, they sacrificed some of these, you know, indigenous people. They enslaved them and, you know, they would do all sorts of nasty things that I don't want to talk about here because it really shocked me. But But the point being is that there's been a practice amongst the European culture to take a sacred site or a burial ground and let's say necromantically repurpose the energy mm -hmm. so that their structures, their temples could be utilizing that energy instead. So when we're talking about the Tartarian buildings and whatnot, that's part of it. You know, I think that some of these buildings are built in specific locations because of their history. You know, you always hear like the histories of different massacres and things like that. You know, there's energy to those locations and they build monuments, they build obelisks in those areas. You know, it's no coincidence that you find obelisks in Egypt, you find them in Europe and you find them here in the United States and, and most Western countries have them. Right. So, 
it's it's an energy conduit and yeah that's what i've been looking into man the geomantic corridors the ley lines and stuff so there's like you said a lot more questions than answers and right and that's the exciting part you know because my friend and i are just kind of going on a a journey to discover it you know and that's like part of what i want to inspire and people when i talk about this stuff is like don't look at me like oh mark has all the answers we need to follow him it's like yeah that's how i got that's how i thought going into the show is like mark will will lay it down for us you know (laughs) it's more like a formula you know like i'm just going through this formula and and understanding the world around me better and certain like things are going to call out to me and that'll be what i research but you might right. get into it and find a whole nother line of information. And then this will become the big genius podcast. I hope so, dude. <laughs> I hope so. Well, and like I said, dude, this is, you brought up stuff that I had never connected to the Tartarian legend. You know, I, things that I was like, oh shit, I never even, that's not, I've not heard this before. So I appreciate that. And let me ask you one more question just to kind of, before we wrap it up here. So I don't know if you saw that documentary, that was going around our, our DMs with all of our uh, pod, fellow podcasters about, it's like a five hour documentary about the lost history of earth. It was this British guy who, who always, he had a weird voice. He'd be like, look, look at this. And it was very strange. But in that he talks about these cathedrals in, in Europe and in America. Spain. Uh, I fucked up the accent, but he's like, what is this? Look at it. Anyway, I'll send you the link if you don't have it. But essentially this, he he made the connection that these ancient churches, right? These uh, cathedrals and these palaces and these these intricate, fantastical structures that were traditionally used for religious ceremonies or things like that were actually at one point free energy conduits essentially like you look at cathedral it's a cathode right and it was it would use almost like tesla technology take energy from the air and and heal or rise up the vibration of the people within it or around it and i just wanted to hear your quick thoughts on if there's any if you find any validity to those kinds of of theories with you know the copper domes that you see on like in like moscow and things like that is there anything that do you, th- you find any validity to that or do you think that's kind of silly woo-woo? I don't know. No, no, no. That's old world. That's old world technology. That's kind of what we were talking about in the, you know, beginning portion of this conversation. And, and I think that, you know, what I just said about geomantic corridors and ley lines, like that's exactly what we're talking about here. Like Tesla built a car that could run off of the energy that the earth puts out, you know, the Hertz frequency, I think it is there's Schumann resonance. You know, he had a, uh, a car that essentially ran on radio waves that are organic. You know, the earth creates these waves and you can tap into them. So I don't discount that at all. I think, yeah, there's definitely alchemical knowledge that's considered when these, what we would call classical structures, classical buildings or neoclassical buildings are built, you know, like all the way down to like the windows with uh, certain stained glass and right. things like that, you know, and like you mentioned the copper roofs and the, the way that the spires are shaped so that they could be conductive towards electricity. And then we use our like language see- pattern seeking powers to see like cathedral and cathode 
have like a really interesting connection, but I'll throw this one on the plate since this is a big dumb podcast. A shout out to Chance Garten from the Interverse podcast. He was on the show recently. My family thinks some crazy episode 90, I think. Check that one out. Dude, coming up uh, on the 100. Nice. Yeah. And he, he mentioned that Catholic, Catholic, is actually he broke it down to be like cat hole lickers, like people <laughs> who lick the asshole of a cat, right? Which is funny because oh my, my cat God. Cinnamon interrupted this podcast before. Oh my God. Hey, that's and, not the only buttholes they're licking, I'll tell you that. So, but think about this. So, you know about like toxoplasmosis and all that. Yeah, like, dude. So, he said that. You know, what if people were giving each other toxoplasmosis is like a warrior type thing, you know, makes you like more of a risk taker. You go into battle and you take more risks. You're probably considered a better soldier to one of the generals. So they're like, all right, every all my soldiers are going to line up and like lick this cat's ass because apparently it makes them wild and, and crazy soldiers like that's the kind of connection. And then also he mentioned like, oh, the people with the RH negative blood are immune to toxoplasmosis. So it's also a way of like, th like thinning the, the, you know, herd in a way, like you get the, the, you take the Royals out of the, the everyday people like, Oh, you're special kind of thing. Cause that's part of like the belief with the RH negative blood is that that's it's Royal blood. To yeah. Ancient bloodlines that go back mm -hmm. to maybe well, like the Anunnaki, if you're going to use that word, or like the Watchers, Nephilim, something. My thought just off the top of my head about the licking the cat holes butts to get toxoplasmosis <laughs> is in ancient Egypt, they worshipped cats. And maybe right. everybody in Egypt just had a really bad case of toxoplasmosis and they were just licking cat buttholes to you know ascend but then again i could see how maybe the pharaohs gave them the strength to build the pyramids or well, maybe the pharaohs uh, <laughs> manipulated that with their rh negative blood they said hey we can you know the cats are on our side let's control these slaves with their weak blood and their toxoplasmosis you know and i i 100 have toxoplasmosis one no without a doubt dude i've had cats my whole life i've never licked a butthole but they've you know they get their buttholes on my pillow i sleep on it well, it's it's without a doubt you remember that episode of South Park? Like, you want to go into predictive programming? You oh, remember yeah. That episode of South Park where they're like strapping the cats to that device and getting high after school. Yeah. Like, cats like ruining his life, uh, getting high on dude. cat butt. Yes. <laughs> dude, there's so much good shit in Gross. South Park. But, it's so disgusting, though. <laughs> but, dude, I mean, there, there's stuff. so much. Go ahead. I, I have a random question, which might be completely off topic. But you mentioned. The African kings, you know, traveling to South America and not returning. Do you think that they could possibly have anything to do with, like, the Incan Empire and Machu Picchu? Right. At all? So that's, or That's exactly. So I'm going to get the, like, um, I'll, I'll just read the story because Ross Ben is a fucking awesome author he's a great dude so people can like get this little teaser for his book and then maybe go support him and then check it out you can go to uh to get this book but is it ross like r-o-s-s no it's r-a-s like rastafari okay ross ben okay i wrote that down wrong r-a-s-b-e-n yeah okay cool so go ahead he says that sorry 
What events in the 1300s inspired Bacon, as in Francis Bacon, to want to colonize some mysterious land related to King Solomon and Islam? Because they called this place a mixture between like King Solomon's Island or the land of of Salem, like all these different ancient words, Islam, were applied to Africa or I'm sorry, North America and South America. So he says between Japan and Peru, as well as integrate with a pious and already civilized people there to create a utopia. It is a result of the 13th century Moorish legacy of Africa and the Americas. It started with the African legacy of Abu Bakar and Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa inherited the throne in 1312 after his father, Abu Bakar II, sailed off to a secret paradise in the West with thousands of ships thousands i said 40 sorry about that guys it is a rare in history that it is rare in history that a king willingly gives up his throne to a prosperous and expansive empire furthermore what prompted abu bakar to sail west with 1000 ships full of men and resources the one account of abu bakar's intention for sailing west from africa comes from his son mansa musa while on his hajj to mecca So he says, the ruler that preceded me did not believe that it was impossible to reach the extremity of the ocean that encircles the earth. He wanted to reach that end and was determined to pursue his plan. So he equipped 200 boats full of men and many others full of gold, water and provision sufficient for several years. He ordered the captain not to return until they had reached the other end of the ocean or until he had exhausted the provisions and water. So they set out on their journey. They're absent for a long period And at last, just one boat returned. When questioned, the captain replied, Oh, Prince, we navigated for a long period until we saw in the midst of the ocean a great river which was flowing massively. My boat was the last one. Others were ahead of me, and they were drowned in the great whirlpool and never came out again. I sailed back to escape this current. But the sultan would not believe him. He ordered 2,000 boats to be equipped for him and his men and 1,000 more for water and provisions. Then he conferred the regency on me for the terms of his absence and departed with his men never to return nor give sign of life. So, you know, I kind of gave like a half-assed job of of telling that story before, (laughs) but, you know, that's kind of what what we have as like a legend and and they make the point you know why would he give up this like great empire on a whim you know if if they thought that this place was just a legend and then ross comes in and he says well they have this legend of the in the in a book a very old book called the history of sudan and sudan is like an old word it doesn't just refer to that one region in africa it was like the term they used for that like a larger part of africa yeah And it says that a 17th century account of a Malayan empire, it is said the Wangara are the ones who engage in trade and travels from one horizon to another. And there is actually a location in Southern Australia called Wangara, and it's a gold rich area of the continent. They've been they're found mines there that go back to you know ancient times and the tradition is that the mines of wangara network was established in the days of king solomon and is known historically as king solomon's mines which is another really interesting rabbit hole that you guys might go down in a future episode with me once i learn some more stuff about it but there's all these king solomon mines everywhere you know so that's kind of what we're talking about i mean you you can even see 
Yeah, like Indiana Jones, Monty Python, you hear this kind of thing of like, oh, King Solomon's gold, King Solomon's mines. Like, that's not accidental. Like, these people who make these movies, it's not just predictive programming. They're giving an homage to sort of the maybe the things that they looked into that they don't think the public is going to appreciate. So they throw it in as a little clue for someone like you, me, you guys or the listeners, you know, to to kind of figure out if we're intrepid enough. So yeah, there's this whole, you know, trading route and they were silent traders, meaning they did not speak when they are bartering. So, you know, that gave them kind of an advantage. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, they were able to kind of move around and, and trade with a lot of different people with possibly like a sign language, you know, and, and, and that was probably like the first universal language. If you think about it, if these guys were trading all over the world and they were able to trade with all these different cultures then you know they were they were communicating on a level that we kind of see today with like the english language you know right so it's well dude uh, i need yeah. to get like a list of these books for i mean i i can see you've got hundreds of books behind you but maybe i i just you know anytime <laughs> oh, you, you got a lot too look at that is that oh, a mirror <laughs> dude I, well, so now we've got bookshelves over here and i have not read a lot of them i went to theater school a lot of them are plays which is not as cool as a book but yeah i do i need to get some i need to get a booklet you should make a mark's reading list and put that on 2.0 no put it no, on a uh, fucking alt media united dude meant. put that's a mark's meant. reading list on there and then let others ah, contribute yeah. a reading list on there dude that'd be that's a great idea actually i'll let you have that one so I call uh, it Kyle's reading rainbow. We'll put it on the alt media United. Take a book. look. It's in a book. Reading rainbow. Dude. Anyway, but Mark, dude, I, I, I just want to say thank you for coming on, dude. This was a great show. I, like I said, I have way more questions than when I started with, yep. I took notes the whole time. I have a bunch of things to look into. I'll text you sometime this week to ask about some books to recommend. Cause I, like you said, I'm a, not a bad reader. I'm a new reader and I just need to get back into it. I've never been one for sitting down and reading. So and that's why I started a podcast, but dude, you tell us where we can find you and any final thoughts you have about this subject. Thank you. Yeah. Well, my final thoughts are just go check out Ross Ben because a lot of what I talked about was inspired by him. Uh, and another guy who I do a podcast with now, his name is Michael Wan. You can check it out. Yeah. It's called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse and it's on the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast feed. It's, yeah, dude. I was going to actually hit you up about getting him on sometime on our show if you could connect yeah. us because I've, I've heard you talk about him. I've looked into him a little bit and yeah, he's got some very interesting, interesting insights into things. So absolutely. Yeah. And he, you know, is much more uh, knowledgeable in a lot of the stuff that I was talking about today and many more things. So yeah, I'd love to make that happen. So please check that out. It's kind of like a, a cool format for a show. We just talk on the phone every week about what's going on in our lives and things that uh, we're thinking about researching places we've been last week episode was about colonial Williamsburg. And we found out that he, he basically found out that the Rockefeller family created colonial Williamsburg, which kind of fits into this whole Tartaria thing, you know, like rewriting history and giving us like a false narrative for a time period, you know, anyways, check that episode wait, wait, out. Wait, wait, wait. Now, what, 
what is Colonial Williamsburg? Like Williamsburg, the the town that was like one of the first settlements. Yeah, it's okay, called so it's it called a, a living. You guys, you guys might have this in in Texas somewhere. Maybe like the Alamo has this, but it's like a living museum. You guys probably have them in the West somewhere. Like an old gold town might have it. I don't know, but it, it's a living museum, meaning like there's actors and and like uh, oh, Kyle, you could get a job there, bro. With uh, <laughs> the actors, I'd rather uh, be in the Civil War reenactment, but that's just me. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So we, you'd we be on the side about, of the South. Yeah, the winning side. Anyway, continue. I'll send you I'll send you guys the links. Listen to the episode and, and maybe we'll do something real soon and talk about more interesting stuff because I could tell that there's a good flow here. I like talking to you guys. I like talking but, um, to you too, Mark. Yeah, man. And that's why if you want uh I'm gonna put this episode and the last episode we did together together and post them both on my feed, which is the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And uh, check that out if you want to listen to My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. It's a podcast. The recent guest we just had on, Corey Daniels from the Phoenix Enigma. And I also interviewed my Sifu, the guy who taught me martial arts for five five years when I was 16 years old till I was about 21, 22. Nice, dude. That's something yeah. I've been wanting to get into is jujitsu martial arts, but I do have a spinal cord injury, and so I'm very hesitant to to get into any sort of grappling or things like that. Mm. Like I'd I'd rather box and get punched in the face than get my back twisted because it's our like I live with chronic pain, so that's just something like I'm very like I want to be able to fucking choke people out and like get choked out and be you know go that all that fun stuff because yeah. it's awesome. But like I'm like fuck, dude. This could really fuck me up. So I just got to be careful. But Mark, you're one of those guys. Don't fuck with Mark, guys. You know he may not look like it, but he'll fuck you up like real fast. He'll fuck you up. But here in Texas, we 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 mitigate that with uh, lots of uh, firearms. So you know maybe one day you can come down to the free state of Texas, get yourself a nice gun. We'll take you to a gun show. There's a gun show like every six weeks around here. And yeah, uh, we'll every hook six you up. months, it's like one in June and one in December. Oh, dude, there's another one coming up like real soon, like in November. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, but Mark, I appreciate it, dude. Uh, this was fun. I I know we we didn't like get what I went into this with the wrong expectations. I, like I said, I was like, oh, Mark's gonna lay it all down, but yeah, you did. Like, you did lay it down, and and just in a way I didn't expect. And so I well, I really got a lot thing. of different perspectives to look at this mm -hmm. topic now, rather than just like ancient buildings and like hidden history. Cause like it, it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. And there, well, there's better people out there who can describe that stuff for you. Maybe I could put you in touch with some of that, uh, some of them, but, but I think all of that information, like as interesting as it is, like, I don't want to just come here and regurgitate like that kind of stuff. Cause I have a sort of okay knowledge of what they're talking about. But at the same time, like, I wanted to share my perspective so people maybe like see the fuller picture. Cause I think if you look at a lot of it, they dismiss some of the uh, really interesting stuff that's going on with indigenous cultures. So thank you for letting me share that perspective. And yeah, dude, this was really fun. I love talking to both of you. So yeah, we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Well, we're the Big Dumb Podcast. Since you're putting this out on your feed, I appreciate that. Uh, check us out. We're at the Big Dumb Podcast anywhere you get your stuff. And uh, y'all have a good night. 